Hi, everybody. This is a Minor Detail podcast host, Ryan Miner. The episode that you are about to hear is the final episode of 2019. It was recorded at Cult Classic Brewing right on Kent Island in Stevensonville, just across the Bay Bridge. And the podcast episode is hosted by Eric Galley of Galley Public Affairs. Galley Public Affairs is a full-service government relations firm that has helped clients navigate the Maryland General Assembly, county councils, and the executive branch for 25 years. That's right, 25 years. Whether you want to secure funding for a particular program or project, or if you want to enact a public policy initiative, or perhaps you want to defeat harmful legislation, and trust me, there's a lot out there, or maybe you want to promulgate or defeat administrative regulations, or just keep a close eye on the legislative process, Galley Public Affairs can help your organization achieve its public policy goals. For more information, please take a look at their website at galleypublicaffairs.com. There's no E in Galley. Come on, you know that. And that's, again, Galley Public Affairs. No E in Galley. Make sure you know that. No E. Or you can call them on the phone the old-fashioned way at 410-990-0069. Enjoy the show. You keep monitoring and... I don't know. That's a winner's team. Okay. All right, so Lynn, what are you going to talk about tonight? Well, I want to talk about your column. That's a game changer, my friend. Uh, everyone is everyone is talking about this winners and losers column yeah. that you put out. And you know, I think it was Peter Francho who put out on his Facebook feed today that Ryan Miner is just about the toughest. Wait, Peter but, did? Yes, he did. Oh, I didn't see this. Oh, Peter, Peter definitely shared your piece. Wow. I said you are relentless, fearless, and fair. Did he get some hits on it? Oh yeah, it's 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 sorry. Did they did they accuse me of uh, being in the pocket of Foxwell and Franjo and? They accuse you of being in the pocket of Alex Hughes. Oh <laughs> well, I'm just kidding. So, you, we'll get to her. Okay, we'll get to her. But Lynn, I just want to say approach that, with care. <laughs> remember our first show? I do. Wet City. Wet City. Election night. Election night. 2018 Democratic primary. Primary night, June 26th. I believe that's right. June 26, 2018. Len and I set up shop in Baltimore City at Wet City. And we had quite an operation. You know, look, we still had these damn technical difficulties, but we had this overhanging mic. And, uh,. We didn't have these. It, we, it wasn't as intricate. It wasn't as detailed. Well, and no one could hear us because because it was a bar. It was a bar, and it was really loud. Okay. And people were struggling to hear us over the sound, and we didn't. It didn't matter. We just, <laughs> you know what? Gene McCarthy. Here's a great story about about politicians. Gene McCarthy running for president in 1968. He was kind of an interesting guy. He's giving a speech at a field house in Indiana, and the rain is coming down and banging on the tin roof of the field house and one of the students who's listening to him speak they said senator we can't hear you speak we can't hear what you're saying yeah he said that's okay i can hear myself (laughs) we can hear ourselves and what we were saying that night was pretty damn erudite and it was the truth well that was a fun night we watched some people we watched some people win some races we watched the annapolis machine crumble before our very eyes we watched the incumbent protection racket uh go full metal jacket john carter conway down mac middleton down net mcfadden down could you I, I, just imagine that for a moment that a year ago it, it it's hard to believe it really hard is hard to, to to fathom how much maryland politics has changed in just one single year, one year. And I, I opened the column today 
with the winners. Wanted to start out positive, and I talked about the two winners being Adrian Jones and Bill Ferguson. And right. I said, close your eyes and imagine for a moment being December twenty third, two thousand and eighteen, and and you're sitting at a bar, maybe Harry. Second Brown. floor, Harry Brown's, <laughs> right where the machine always congregates at the end of a long day. <laughs> In fairness, though, uh, Rusty at Harry Brown's, who has very graciously allowed me to set up shop in, in the a back great room. Guy. Yeah, tremendous guy. He, he, he is allowed a minor detail to podcast live there. And I did it for my first session uh, this, this past you year. You and I had a thing with Ron Young there this yeah, past year. Yeah, the basement. Year. Oh, not the basement, but the bottom floor. First the floor, first floor, yeah. Tremendous podcast. So I, I'm thinking to myself, could, could anyone have predicted these changes a year ago? I didn't. I mean, think no. about it. I was just thinking, okay, what's Hogan's, what's Hogan's process going to be? What happens when he gets to being a reelected governor? What's going to happen with Francho, of course? And who are these going to be, these legislative all-stars that are going to shine? This was December of last year, and sessions started, what, the 9th of last year? That's right. Um, and we did a show that day, remember? Up at uh, Carolyn Marquis' uh, tap room. Uh, Chesapeake Brewing. Chesapeake Brewing. Yeah. yeah. Fun times. And I, 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 to consider what happened this year with Bill Ferguson and Adrian Jones, Adrian Jones's election was historic. Twofold. They made history. First African-American female. And that day, May 1st, and we should mention the late Speaker Bush who passed away on April the 7th. He died one day before uh, the end of session. Signe died. That was a tough day. It really was. Yeah, and, it was. and I, I tell you that a lot of people were hurting that day. And my heart, I mean, it was a heavy heart. I was in that chamber uh, at the stroke of midnight, and there was some, there was tears. There was a lot of pain, and I felt truly awful for some of those state delegates who knew the speaker well. I did not, and I felt terrible for his staff. And I, it, it, it's just an all-around sad situation. And I believe he was the longest speaker in history. He was. He was. And losing him, and not only that, at the beginning of session, we found out some troubling news with Mike Miller, the longstanding Senate president who has been Senate president, what, for 34 years? Right. Announced that he had stage four cancer. And what a blow to Maryland. I mean, these, these legends took, I mean, it, it, was a, it, it was a sad year in terms of losing people. and But... It, it also made way for some newcomers, and going in that day on May 1st, after the Speaker passed away, of course, the, there was an election um, amongst the caucus, and it was between two candidates going in. It was between Derek Davis and Maggie McIntosh. Right. Two legends of their own. Uh, of, and, and going in, Maggie McIntosh had assured the Annapolis press corps and the Annapolis Cognoscenti that she had the votes. No, she didn't. She didn't. She didn't, and we walked in. Good thing she wasn't running for whip. Well, <laughs> and, and Derek Davis thought he, he might have had, yeah, I get that. Right. That's funny. Right. Uh, Derek Davis, they didn't want to elect Derek Davis because Maya Rockamore Cummings, the, the chair of the state party, wrote a pretty dastardly letter that said, hey, if you get these, if you get elected with the help of Republicans, we're cutting funds. And well, she made, a, I think she made a big over-calculation over with that. Well, as, as it turns out, she didn't have that many funds to cut off from recalcitrant members of the caucus. because What's that? She a bit pretty much spent the party dry on lucrative consulting contracts and everything else. Well, who's that, Lynn? Who was, uh, that would be Maya Rocky Moore Cummings having spent oh, a lot of money on... 
God knows what. You mean $3,000 email contracts that suddenly made no fiscal sense and then corporate contracts? Yeah. Ah. Okay. So when she says she's cutting off funds to to Democratic lawmakers who don't tell the party line and to Democratic statewide officials who don't you know jump up and salute, it turns out she didn't have the funds that we thought she had because she had basically spent the party dry. And I find it very interesting that now she's running for to, to fill her late husband's seat in Congress. And I shudder to think what's going to happen if she has a chance to do to do for the country what she did to the Maryland Democratic Party. So, Lynn, obviously there's some tension there between you and maybe the Comptroller's office and Maya Rockamore. It's mostly between me and Maya. But I want to... Peter's forgiven her, but I, I, ha I have not forgotten what she wrote about Peter. Well, didn't she... When, when basically she attacked Peter and she... Uh, what happened there? So, here, so, so let, me, let me go back to in the aftermath of the 2018 election and Maya Rocky Moore Cummings um, defeats Kathleen Matthews to assume the chairmanship in the aftermath of the unsuccessful gubernatorial race, right? Peter had had a, Peter had a great relationship with Elijah Cummings. Yeah. Had, sir, sir, May he rest in peace. God a, a, rest a, truly, a truly decent human right. being and, Peter, and taken from us too soon. Peter had served with Elijah in the house. Uh, continued to have just a, a warm, cherished relationship with the man throughout his tenure in Congress, and so as a gesture of as a gesture of respect and friendship to Elijah, walked into Maya's office the first day she was on the job in Annapolis, and put nineteen thousand dollars in contributions on her desk no to say, "I want to be, a, I want to, I want to help, I want to get you off to the right start." Because you got a tough job. Some people might accuse Peter of politically gaming that out, but was I, we can only assume that that was done in a gesture. He didn't have to do that. He, he's won four elections without the support <laughs> of the institutional and democratic machine. And he's been in office since 1987. Right. And you know what? He's going to win his next election without the democratic machine. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. He did that, he did that as a gesture of respect to Elijah yeah. and as an act of friendship toward Maya. And then how did she respond? Let's come back. Well, yeah. yeah. And let's come back to Maya in a bit. And she's on the losers list of this year. I saw she's that. She's not a look. And I don't mean that pejoratively. She, politically speaking, um, she was a loser. And just doing a sound check. Okay. All right. Clay, Clay's our guy. And we'll talk about Clay Mitchell in just a minute. Can they hear us? Yeah, they can good, hear us. Good, yeah. good, good, good. Um, our friend Eric Galley, who's sitting right behind you, is the sponsor of our podcast. Check him out at galleypublicaffairs.com. There's no E in his name. He is one of the best uh, White House lobbyists in uh, Annapolis. So, Lynn, another person that I really should have just put at the top, but how can we? How could I possibly skip Adrian Jones and Bill Ferguson? And I want to talk about Bill Ferguson in just a moment. But the the two biggest political stars in Maryland right now, it, 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 we're coming into a new political generation in Maryland politics. But. Our friend Luke Broadwater at the Baltimore Sun, I, I think, is unquestionably the man of the year. The man of the year who is an esteemed journalist that is his heroic journalism toppled a mayor of one of the country's most prominent cities. Think about it. Culture of corruption. He exposed this healthy Holly scandal. One article after the the other. One investigative piece, subsequent one another, and finally it led the culmination 
of amazing writing and dogged reporting, Catherine Pugh is no longer the mayor of the city of Baltimore. Jack Young was sworn in as the 51st mayor because of journalism. That's how important this is. And Luke Broadwater and his team at the Baltimore Sun, but I want to credit Luke because he really blew the lid off of this. Yeah, thing. he did. But, you know, but I, want to, I want to jump in here because you've been to my class at Johns Hopkins University. Yeah. And you know, there's and and we teach we teach media relations and communications. And part of our conversation, part of the conversation I have with my students, is about the generational tension between the old journalism and the new journalism, right? Because we are in the midst of a seismic cultural shift in how Americans consume their news content. That's right. And so I think when I think back to 2019, I think I'm going to think about the year that we learned that the old journalism and the new journalism aren't in conflict, but they're really in synchronicity. Luke Broadwater showed us that dirt under the fingernails, gumshoe, street-level reporting still matters. That traditional style of journalism still matters, and it can change the outcome. And I also think, and you're, and you're giving yourself too little credit here, you were emblematic, Ryan, of the new journalism that more hybrid approach between between factual content and news analysis, multimedia between the written word and what we're doing here. And you know what? Together, the old journalism is embodied by stars like Luke Broadwater and the work that you've brought into the Annapolis culture. Together, you are making the citizenry of Maryland and of Annapolis so much better informed than we were before. I appreciate that. You should give yourself a great deal of credit. Well, thank you, Lynn. And I, I'm, I'm humbled by that. And look, I, I recognize that this, <laughs> this thing hasn't been easy. Uh, you, you, you take your hits where you do. People, you walk into the state house. <laughs> Come on. Come on, do it. <laughs> you, you walk into the basement of the state house, and you never know what you're going to expect. I mean, who knows? Not everyone had a great year. No. Not everybody, not everybody had a great. You, you know, I took some blowback from writing about our our colleague at the Daily Record, and look, it, from him or from no, just from people that said that it looks like you really personalized this. And I'm thinking, well, you're damn right. This is my column. It's, and, it's okay. We're human beings. Well, it's it, it's hard to separate that. But I I walked into that press room this, and people were kind of like looking around, like, what's this guy doing here? And it's like, hey, man, I'm just here to learn, I'm here to listen. I'm here to become a better writer, a better journalist. Yeah, I love Brian Searson. He's a dear friend of mine. But That's I, good. I, 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 like, I, 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 I like him, too. It just I don't understand why he was so unwelcome. You know, and, and, I, and, I, and I hope there's a shared understanding from, from this past year that there's space for everybody on this boat. I think And, so. in fact, it takes that, con that, that blend of the old and the new to fulfill the mission. I hope there's more people that come out of the woodwork and do this, you know? I, I mean, imagine if there were 10 of these. Imagine if Richard Deshaies Elliott had a podcast. Oh, my God. Imagine if Clay Mitchell had a podcast. What happens if Jimmy Tarlow had a podcast? Red Jimmy. Right. Two tin cans and a, and a string. Imagine if Lynn Lucci had a podcast. Oh, my. Can you just imagine? Greenbelt Mayor Pro Tem Emma Jordan had a podcast. <laughs> Imagine if Mark Eldridge had a podcast. Oh my goodness! What happens if they were all? What happens if they were all together? All, all hosted by MC Media, which is the government-run media operation over in Montgomery County. And and the and the, and the first guest would be Alex Hughes. Alex Hughes, who was on the naughty list this year. <laughs> Boy, was she! Woo. 
That was hardcore, man. You know, I sat down with Alex uh, at the beginning of Sponsored session. by Stephanie Mellinger. <laughs> that gravy train has run its course. In fact, the euphemism for her, uh, the, the metaphor was the train that crashed over in Maryland on Saturday down into the Potomac oh, River. Oh, man. Did you you see brought that? the train. I did see that. You Woo! brought the train into that it. That was Stephanie Miller's business ha after all of her. As Ben Kramer said in our hearing, have you no shame? Mm. <laughs> have you no shame, Mr. Comptroller? <laughs> Poor Ben. Whew. You know what? I give, I give Ben credit for sticking to his. I give him credit for you know s sticking up for his position, and I I especially appreciate his his sister, Rona Kramer, oh, Rona's um, Secretary of Aging, who is doing a fantastic job for she the is. governor. I I respect her, and I I respect Senator Kramer. I just happen to think that he's wrong on this issue. I agree with that. Um, and I think there's a way he, he means well. I think there's a better way he could have communicated his point. Well, I and I interviewed him, and he's I was I'm very fair always, and people know that. And that's the criticism that I get is is that they you know they say oh minor Francho Foxwell, and it's like okay fine. But, no, no. But, but, for, any, for anyone who's for anyone who's who's watching and listening this evening. Let me just say, anyone who thinks that there's an, there's an alliance here is absolutely wrong. There is no one, there is no one in the Annapolis press corps who is any harder on Peter Francho and Len Foxwell than Ryan Minor. I, I, you I asked, asked you some tough You asked the hard questions. You demand that I stick to the question. <laughs> you demand that I stick to the record, stay on the record. You, you, you ask and give no quarter. You are tough and you're fair. Well, I try to be fair. So, I mean, that's, that's, uh, I try to be. And anyone, anyone who insists that there's some, you know, relationship or alliance, <laughs> they just don't know you very well. No, and look, and if Peter Franchot, uh, if, if there was a tough story to report, I would report it just like anybody would. Well, you right? gave, I mean, you, when Peter Franchot went to the District 18 Democrats, that Ooh. renowned band of, of, of pragmatic centrists, the District 18 Democratic Club, and they gave him a hard time over this issue and that issue. You didn't soft pedal it. No. Your headline was District 18 Democrats give him a cool response. Yeah. And, and, and that's what happened. That I mean, was there fair. Was a, there were some, some people who were not satisfied with Peter's responses, and it, it may not have been the most favorable crowd, but I got to tell you what, they, uh, they're they a lively bunch. They really are. Respect the hell out of them. They, ca they care enough to show up, and come election day, they work. Yeah, they do. They have strong These opinions, and... Yeah, they've earned their keep over the course of time. Yeah, they, they certainly they certainly have. And uh, Montgomery County is an interesting place for politics. And having lived there for a number of years now, it's much different from Washington County, where I grew up. The Washington County Commissioners had an interesting year, Ryan. We did. They did. They uh, the Who was that guy who you interviewed standing in his doorway and his wife beat her tank top? <laughs> who was that? I didn't interview him, but I got him on video. That was... <laughs> That's the best thing ever. Oh, man. Terry Baker, um, who, <laughs> Legend. you know, I guess uh, had some domestic violence issues and ends up getting reelected as the second highest vote getter. And um, But in Washington County this year, they had the uh, county administrator finally resigned. And you know what? People said, Ryan, lay off this story. Lay off. There's nothing there. Don't do it. Don't, don't ask these tough questions. Well, come to find out, based on some of my reporting, this guy's out the door. And that's what all my internal sources in Washington County government, and they pretended like nobody was talking to me when there was people texting me inside every single day, and, and they said, just do me one favor. I said, sure. 
protect us. And I said, you got it. I'll protect you. Of course. That's what I'm going to do. How does it feel, Ryan? As a guy who grew up in Washington County, a Hagerstown boy right on through, to actually play a role in improving the caliber of government in Washington County and holding those in power accountable. Well, I, on learned, of the I learned from the best, and that's Ron Bowers. This is Stanford, the legend. Stan and Tyler Patton, who's a South Hagerstown High School graduate. I was a Williamsport High School, high school graduate. I was a saxophonist. He was a tuba player. Tyler Patton, who was listed this year in Josh Kurtz's Maryland Matters as being one of the winners in the 2019 legislative session for so his work. So, a big deal. So back to the winners, Lynn, on this, this year uh, on the whole. Uh, I did list Peter Francho, who announced this year, who he's he's considering a gubernatorial bid. Strongly considering. Strongly considering. And it, it, it appears all but certain that Mr. Francho will launch a bid, uh, probably, I would imagine, after the 2020 presidential election. I think that we have a lot of politics to, to, uh, to sort out next year on the national scene. And whatever happens in that election, and I have no clue. I have no clue. Can you believe this? Oh my God! Another winner. Oh my God! Oh my, oh my God. God! You want to announce a gentleman here? You're never going to guess who walked in. This Come on. is one of the big winners. This was one of the big winners of the year. This is State Senator Stephen Hershey, who represents the very same district that we are sitting inside, District 36. Steve Hershey had one hell of a year. He he decided that he would get tough on gun violence. He decided to support Chestertown Hospital, and he was a champion for his causes. And as the minority whip for the Republicans, there is no tougher state senator than Steve Hershey. And I'm honored that he's here. This is amazing. How did you know about this? I just saw Clayton's post. And then he just wanders in. I was at the gym. I'm literally on the way across the bridge. What gym are you at? Uh, club One. Oh, club One. Yeah. Club One? How about, not the Y? <laughs> the one that's closest to my house. It's closest one. That's a, that's a, that's a, my wife's on the YMCA board. Yeah. yeah anytime oh, anytime they say Club One, I'll say not the Y. You want to hear something interesting? Um, last week, um, Senator Hershey, he had the new incoming Senate president here down in the district, and he was showing him around. And he's good friends with Bill Ferguson. And that, while they may have political disagreements, the culture of the Senate is is much different than I would say than anything else in national politics, where the people actually like one another and they work together on. It's kind of a microcosm of what national politics used to be like. So you could have your your disagreements of the day and have your policy battles, fight them honestly, That's and right. at the end of the day, go out for a go out for a, a stiff drink and uh, a nice dinner at the end. I agree. You know what would be a good primary? Uh, uh, you know, you know what would be a really good. Republican primary, Lynn, is Steve Hershey versus Andy Harris, the Lindsey Graham in training. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I'm telling you what. You know, because I'll be honest with you, I mean, I live, I live in the first district, too. I live in Easton. And I know the way this district was drawn, thanks to, thanks to Martin O'Malley's gerrymandering, <laughs> we're never going to get a Democratic congressman here. So I'm looking at, you know, who can actually represent my district with competence, integrity, and independence. Yeah, this is the guy right here. That's right, Steve Hershey is. Uh, he, he's a he's a great guy. He's got a, an excellent Senate partner and Senator J. B. Jennings, who, right. by the way, all, invariably throws the best Mako party. Aside from the one party that we went to with my new friend Jason Williams. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute now. 
What, what? about great parties? How about the Cap Strap party where Melanie, Melanie Miller? Melanie Miller, Miller was there, and Steve Hershey was there. The whole <laughs> at the Cap Strap party. <laughs> the whole Cap Strategy. Boy, party. that wasn't exactly a welcome wagon she threw out for you. Um, no. In fact, she accused me of performing a sexual act on the comptroller, and that wasn't very nice. I thought I was outraged myself. <laughs> you were. I was outraged. If 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 I had been if I had been if I had actually been. You know anything? You know more. You know more copacetic at that moment. I would have been outraged. <laughs> well, let me but tell you what. We've been drinking since about three in the afternoon. We were at Red. Red. <laughs> I wasn't. We were. You know where I stayed? I was in Salisbury. I didn't. Because it's too expensive over in Ocean City during the middle of summer. Why didn't you just crash my place? Well, you didn't ask me. And then people would have accused us of colluding. Well, that's just way. That's just I way make totally is. Everyone, everyone crashes with everybody. Next, come August, just come stay at my place. I'm right across from Sky Bar. No. Anyway, right. anyway, see. I'll be at Mako next year. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I, I drove to Salisbury some nights at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I get back up at 7. Tell, walk. tell them about the Melanie Miller thing. No, the Melanie Miller story is great. In fact, <laughs> we were at, um, what was it? Red Red Wine. It wasn't Red Red Wine. Red Red yeah. Wine in Ocean City. And Melanie Miller got the idea she she just kind of was drinking and you know that's not uncommon right. but it's you know we're adults right we drink right especially at mako at mako that's the right you know as ben jealous said you go down and just party with lobbyists right so in virginia in virginia so melanie miller <laughs> saw you because you and i were standing next to one another and this place was crowded i mean it was Shoulder to shoulder, right. person to person, sweaty, packed. I had on a pair of shorts and a shirt, and it was unbelievably just the the, the best of the best politicas. And I walked up to Mel Melanie Miller, something something, and then she said, "You know, you're uh, you're doing this to French." <laughs> I was like, "What are you talking about? What is going on here?" And I said, "You know what, Melanie? I was like, we're not going to do this here, but." One of us is going to have to rise above this, and it's going to have to be me. I think that I, I have think a rise up cup of coffee and sober up. And now I was drinking club soda and lime, but I got to tell you, Melanie Miller is a legend in Annapolis, and uh, she's she's going to carry on. You know, I, yeah, I don't have a problem at all with Melanie. You know what? God bless her. She loves her father. She, and she's and had, she's had a rough year too. And you know what? If I were in the same position, you damn right I would defend my dad. Yeah. And if he were in that. You, you, you're damn right that I would be the same way. And if people write tough stories, and she's used to it because it's been, yeah. there's been many tough stories. I don't have about, a problem with Melanie at all. But I don't either. And and I say that I, she put up her dukes, and then she fought back. And you know what? To me, I say, at a girl, at a girl. And and I hope that's not politically incorrect, but I mean that seriously. She stood up for her dad. And yeah. later on that night, I saw her when I when I went out and came back. I went out to see say something to Len Lucci giving him advice in his bid for mayor of Bowie and then mm -hmm. I came back and uh, she was sitting in the doorway and I gave her a hug we hugged it out mm -hmm. she's okay yeah you know what um, the woman she, she's a good daughter she's a good family woman you know what we're missing what's it's, that we're missing Brian Feldman um, it, what it, we're miss Brian Feldman who's district 15 and was he supposed to be here no 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 I just he was one of the first interviews that I did at Harry Brown's it was him and Hershey and Hershey and I, we, they all sit down for this podcast, and I think we talked about budget and taxation issues. Uh, finance, committee. No, finance committee. So I should know this. I've been drinking. Look how much, 
Look how much weight he's lost. Uh, he's he looks, looks amazing. Yeah, no, he looks good. You guys, if you see it on camera, Steve Hershey is the, the most in-shape state senator. No, I'm just, Oh, yeah. I'm just at the gym. Yeah, it's see? He looks amazing. Yeah. He, he worked, I remember walking to his office. It makes me a little bit nervous because usually when you see a politician lose that much weight and get into fighting, they're training, running for something. They're gearing up for a statewide <laughs> That's office. That's right. So I'm getting a little bit nervous or, looking at Hershey here. Or a congressional seat. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I walked into his office and I said, uh, Hershey's running for cover. Well, he was eating. I said, What are you eating for lunch? He said, Just peanut butter. He had a big jar of peanut butter right on his leg. Oh, you do a peanut butter thing too? Yeah. You know? Peanut butter is good. Yeah. Steve Hershey, a legend. Bananas and peanut butter. It's not just for Elvis anymore. Yeah. I, um, I saw Mike Schmeagel walking down 50 with his weapon. Did anybody see that? He was testing his constitutional limits. Was he heading to Club One? No. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. He went to the gym, I'm too. I'm sorry. I was, uh, that he was an interesting juxtaposition. We went from talking about Club One to Mike Schmeagel. Mike and I lost something in translation. <laughs> Mike Schmeagel was going to the gym with Hershey. Guys. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> So back to the I'm not getting into shaming here. I no, I didn't. Oh. You got to go? Yeah. Right. Good to see you, man. You look right. great, Senator. Yeah, you Thank too. You, Thanks Congratulations for Congratulations on being in the winner's circle. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank Merry you. Christmas, Steve. Some nice Thank you all very much. All right. Later, see you later. Steve Hershey, everybody. Man, what District a legend 30. he is. <laughs> District 36. Look at that. He is the, uh, he's a great guy. He's a good guy. And uh, Can we uh, talk about Call Classic for a minute, where we are? Yes. Because I don't think we really unpacked that. Okay. Go ahead. So we are sitting here at Call Classic Brewing, and I love this place, not only because it's on my way home every night, but because I think this place captures the essence of both the achievements and the missed opportunities of Maryland's craft brewing industry because of failed leadership. Now, yeah. this is where, where we are sitting right now is in it's in the old space of of the Acme supermarket. And my dear friends, Jesse and Brooks McNew came in and totally rebuilt this place. Jesse's a, I, I talked to him all the other day and great He's conversation. Right great and guy. I said, listen, do you mind if we set up shop? And I said, God, I hate the name drop, but uh, my buddy Lynn Fox, when he's like, oh, Lynn, we'll do anything for Lynn. Oh, so they, they, totally, they totally rehabbed this old, uh, this old supermarket space that was just sitting vacant had been for some time and and that kind of and and now they have one of the best breweries anywhere in the state of maryland they yeah. are putting out really good beer every night it's consistent it's good it's getting rave reviews but you know because of the laws that were passed years ago by the maryland general assembly when they were in the throes mm. of the of big beer and their distributors these guys have to close at 10 o'clock every night for no logical 10 o'clock. How can so anybody I, make any money? So I just asked Jesse. I said, hey, Jess, this is like one of the most popular places on Ken Island. What's your game plan for New Year's Eve? He said, well, you can't really feel much of a New Year's Eve party when you have to close at 10 o'clock. Right. And so we've had some progress in the fight to liberalize and modernize Maryland's craft beer laws, which has made it possible for guys like Jesse and Brooks to get their foot in the door. But there's still, much, a, lot, there's still a lot of work left to do. Yeah, and... These crap breweries are the economic engines, and I... They really are. I'm, I'm hoping that they, they're going to take off, and I know that the General Assembly, and, and, and I think in fairness, Peter and the General Assembly, they've, they've come to some consensus this past year, and they have developed uh, a good plan moving forward. Well, I like the way it worked out, because Peter was kind of the, the agitator. He kind of kicked the barn door down, if you will. Mm -hmm. He got the conversation started. Yeah. We, we broke a lot of China, ruffled a lot of feathers in the process. But then this past year, 
good people like Kevin Addicts Kevin and Addicts. Brad Rifkin got the legislation through. Do you you know who I wish were here right now? Who's that? Eric Lukey. Oh, man. Eric, a legend. God, if a I had that one that Christmas wish. A, the, the, the Christmas Red Rider BB gun wish of the year would be Eric Lukey sitting right next to me. And I'd say, Eric, will you unblock me on Twitter so that the we The Baron can, of Burtonsville, they call the him. The Baron of... Does he live in Burtonsville? I think so. Oh, okay. I hope so, because I like that little District quality. Four, District 14 with the indubitable Craig Zucker. Same district, so... Yep. I, I'll tell you right now, Eric Lukey... He's a good guy, actually. Majority leader? Yes, he is. Majority leader of the House of Delegates. Another big shift. Why did he block you? Oh, he doesn't He doesn't care much for... What are you, what are you doing to Eric? Oh, well, I, I upset him a little bit, but he's... He's, you know... He's, he's he gets nice, wound up. He does. We all get a little wound up sometimes. I'll, I'll tell you, but uh, the, the good thing about... Here's, here's what I like about Eric. A, the man is true to his beliefs... Okay. We're just doing a sound check. Okay. True yeah, to his okay. beliefs. And, and two, uh, he, has done a, he has done a lot of work on Good the father issue. Too. He's a great father. Yeah. And he, there is probably no more dependable voice in Annapolis for those, for, for children with developmental disabilities yeah. than Eric. And I, I agree with that. And my hat is off to him, and I, yeah. I wish him a Merry Christmas. You know, I was thinking, we're sitting here, and we're doing this Facebook Live thing, and we only I wish Mark Elrich was here. I do. And you know who I was thinking about who also does this Facebook Live stuff? Um, Larry and, and Curly from, uh, from Red, Maryland. So I was thinking you posted about this. A I was thinking of those guys because I, I, you know, when I, when I first, so Ryan, when I first started, you tried not to laugh. But I went. Look at this So when I started at Salisbury, I was in the College Republicans, and and I remember, I remember why, going to like the first College Republican mixer. Yeah. Right? And this is like a, and they all show up like their little. Navy blazers with their gold with their faux gold buttons and their little bow ties and Ronald Reagan cufflinks, mm-hmm. and they're all like just sitting just sitting around ordering you know trying to sneak whatever whatever you know light beer or blue Smurf concoction yeah. they can get, and they're all trying and, and every college Republican group has like the inevitable really attractive blonde girl I'm just smoking hot yep you know and I don't mean to be politically incorrect but you know what I'm talking about yeah. she's just beautiful. Kind of reminds you of Blair from Facts of Life. Oh yeah, yeah. And they're all just kind of trying to work up the nerve. And my wife, my wife is very blonde, so she's gorgeous. <laughs> I, don't, I don't take no, that no, wrong no, way. No, no, no. So Thank you. No, you're your wife is, I mean, a ten. So. Oh, Tim is a twelve. Wow. Um, <laughs> Listen to this. <laughs> but but when I, when I, and every time I see that picture of those two, Brian Griffith and the other guy. I'm just thinking. I'm going back to 1988, yeah. freshman college Republican mixer, and these and, and these and these two kids trying to be somebody. Well, you know, I it was funny because um, Andrew Langer, who does a radio show, he had uh, insinuated to I guess on his Facebook page, um, he called me the Fredo of Maryland politics, insinuated I guess I was stupid or something, and it's like, oh, okay. what does that even mean? I don't know. I, he. Um, and it's not even worth mentioning, but I always respected Andrew. Um, he runs a good, yeah. He, he runs a good show on WBAL, and I've always appreciated his uh, his commentary. And he's been, uh, I don't know. But I mean, but I, I like what you said. You know, if whoever it is, whoever it is, has sent Brian Griffiths out to fuck with us. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. No. Come on, man. I mean, he's the first reported male pregnancy in the history of the United States. So. 
I'm just. Is that, that's actual. That's thing, a scientific right? breakthrough, my friend. I mean, he's the he's the Arnold Schwarzenegger in uh, the the movie. So, you know, I, Red Maryland they do some interesting work. I'll say that, and they have a they have a following. They have a shtick, and um, what's the guy Timothy uh, Timothy uh, who's on the Maryland politics page? He posts on Timothy Little. <laughs> Timothy Little. <laughs> okay, okay. If you had to pick your favorite participant, yeah, you're, you're like. You're Mount Rushmore right now. Of, of Maryland From politics. Maryland politics. Yeah. Who are your guys? F- four people. Four people. All right. So this is my And one of them has to be Leo Thurman. <laughs> Leo is definitely... In fact, I mentioned him, and he's a bright young kid. He's a great guy. Yeah. I li- I've never met him, but I want to meet him sometime. He's very, very good. So I would say him, of course, Barry, who, but he... Uh, Barry O'Connell, uh, who does... Uh, who runs the show. Uh, Jake Burdett. Jake Burdett. Um... Um, let's see who else. Um, Culture Crusader Michael Feldman. He's uh, an idiot. <laughs> you know what though? He's a he's a passionate guy, and he's he's got some. He's never going to make it to the next level. Well, uh, I tell you, I t- Richard Deshay Elliott though. Definitely. He, that guy is an impact player. He was on the winners list. Yes, he was. And you know what? And you must have sm- read the piece because you, you you mentioned impact players. So. That was a that was smart of you to, to mention him oh. because he would have he he's a, he's a progressive crusader, but there's also a pragmatic streak to Richard Deshay Elliott. Yeah. The young man is wise beyond his years. So, but the top four, of Maryland, definitely Timoth- Timothy Little. <laughs> so. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> Timothy Leo. I'd say Timothy, Leo. Um, Do you remember when Leo Thurman, back in the summer, Leo Thurman put out a, a Maryland gubernatorial poll? Yeah. It was, he put it out like 11 o'clock on a Wednesday night. I called every one of my staff members yeah. and said, hey, get up. I need you to jump in on this poll. I need you to mobilize your net roots. we got to win the Leo Thurman poll. And one of my young staff members, and they're all smarter and younger yeah. than I am, they said, what are you talking about? Yeah. When I said Leo Thurman has a poll up, and the guy has influence. Yep. You win the Leo Thurman poll, you've done something. Well, and we won the Leo Thurman poll. Have you ever won an Inside Maryland Politics poll? Which one is Inside Maryland? Politics? Well, that's our, that's our friend. Uh, what's that? What's that? No. <laughs> Speaker Jones <laughs> is watching well, if I, my watch party. Madam Speaker, we appreciate your work. Well, wow, that's amazing. Look that's at pretty that. awesome, actually. Speaker of the House of Maryland, who is a legend, who is about cool. to accomplish such extraordinary feats in Annapolis. And I'm not just saying that. I, I actually really like the Speaker. I agree with you. I really think that she is a fundamentally decent person. She's always been very, very fair. You know who else is an interesting pick that I... I um, when I was writing the column. Hey, uh, thanks, for, thanks for getting us off of Leo Thurman, by the way. We, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> the Maryland Politics page, which is the, the most feared and hated political page in the state of Maryland on Facebook. You know, there was a one-time a campaign against Barry O'Connell. But which one is inside Maryland Politics? Is That's run by Timothy Little. That's right. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. He posts, you know, he's, the, um, he's a paid spokesman of Red Maryland. He's their promoter. Right. He takes them on tour. So he takes old Laurel and Hardy on tour. So, does he like line up their girls and? Yeah, the showgirls. Oh, that must, that must be that must be a rocking good party when Timothy takes those guys out to Camelot. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <I can't. laughs> 
<laughs> imagine, imagine going to Camera or Penn Sport with Brian Griffiths. Mm. You know what? Brian Griffiths, there's a, there's a, there's a, a streak of decency in him. In he that, probably has, he probably has a fake idea. That says I'm Mark Nugent. <laughs> no, well, you know Mark Nugent. When they lost Mark Nugent at Red Maryland, he's he's Mark he, Nugent's a legitimate heavyweight. It, it, not only that, brilliant. In, in every way, the governor was smart to bring and, him into and the just cabinet. So ethical. Yeah, he's it, a good, fundamentally good man and a dear friend. You know who I was sad to see leave the governor's cabinet was Chris Shank, former state senator from my neck of the woods up in Washington County, and just a, a decent man, very smart, and he's going to make a lot of money now in the private sector. You know, Chris is an interesting guy because when it, it's funny how you see people evolve over their time sure. in this town. Now, when Chris came to Annapolis. Yeah, he, he beat Don Munson in a Republican <laughs> primary a few years ago. In 2010, a, a decade ago. And people, and you know, and Don Munson was thought to be politically impregnable in Hagerstown and surrounding communities, right? right? one of the most revered state senators in the history of, of Western Maryland. But you know what? When he lost, he took it pretty hard. He came back to Annapolis the following year in 2011. And he, end, he ended up being sort of a glorified intern for John Donahue. I remember, remember John Donahue? I do remember John Donahue. There's an old, there's an old school Do you, you ever see the show CSI Miami with David Caruso and Emily Proctor? Yes, I have. You have David Caruso's partner, Frank, <laughs> yeah. you know, just like John Donahue. John Donahue was a guy that enjoyed libations. He enjoyed some libations. Was he a craft beer aficionado? He would have been the number one craft beer aficionado while sailing inside of the, uh, the Annapolis Harbor. Really? Mm-hmm. So There's he, some John Donahue stories. Oh, my goodness. He's a good man. He is a very good He's man. He's a good man. And you know who replaced him? Brett Wilson. Good guy as well. A brilliant guy who went on to become a judge appointed one, by... One of the more respected jurists in our state now. Yeah. And speaking of um, appointments by the governor um, to shift directions just to... Br- no, uh, can, 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 can we just... I, I want to I close the loop on Chris Shank because... Yeah, I'm sorry. When, yeah, when, 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 when Chris came to town, you know, his... His persona was that of a, a, a right-wing bomb thrower. Like a Neil Parrott type. Yeah, I think that was how people perceived him, and I think that's probably how he was in the very early stages of his senatorial tenure. But over time, he just evolved and evolved and, and you know, and grew uh, professionally and personally, and to, to the point where when he left, he was a major impact player and a highly influential person in this town who was respected by people on both sides of the yeah, aisle. Yeah, he's, he's had a great career. He's a good guy. And wouldn't you think that if the district lines change in western Maryland, that if the 6th Congressional District is returns to somewhat of the normal Congressional District, even though Chris Shank has since moved out of Washington County, right. wouldn't you believe that he would be a prominent candidate for Congress in, in the 6th? I think I, I think if you look at, out at that western Maryland, you know, that... Uh, yeah, that 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 ridge. That Clay's getting me a beer, beer refill. Oh, you're like all over the place now. I'm t- you're you're looking out. You know. I'm sorry, man. That's all right. I'm just you know. I love you, buddy. Thanks. But if you look at but if you look at some of the talent that's out there in that Western Maryland corridor, you've got Kelly Schultz. She was on the winners list today, and as well she should have been. You have people like Kathy Afzali. You have you have, you have really you have Chris Shea. No, you don't. I'll Mike just, Mike McKay. Mike McKay. No, seriously, he's a, he's a wonderful a, guy. A truly decent guy. You have um, and Neil Parrott's running for Congress. Right. Yes, he's so, running on um, the the AIDS letter. He's going to make sure that he 
prevents anybody who ever had uh, is this still HIV. Opposed, is this still opposed to AIDS? You know what? I, <laughs> I hope so. I mean, uh, nobody supports AIDS, but we support people who have AIDS that need that, that medical help. But he once wrote a letter to the Herald Mail in 2006 before he was a thanks Clay before he was a state delegate advocating that anybody who has HIV should be subjected to a government mandated tattoo I mean that's interesting to me that's interesting doesn't that remind you of something maybe around 1942 or 43 if that guy ever actually had to go into a parlor at the end of a night and actually get a tattoo he would be pissing his pants and laying in a fetal position from the pain at the end of the night. Well, it's, you know, uh, interesting. But uh, there's a lot of raw talent in, in Western Am I not allowed to say that? Oh, you could, Lynn, this is unedited. This is raw. So, right. I mean, people are watching. This is great. we got Clay Mitchell. we got Eric Gallia of Gallic Public Affairs. And look, Lynn, you know, when the General Assembly, when the session ended last April, the, the news site, Maryland Matters, they were clear. Josh Kurtz, he wrote the column. He was clear about who the winners and losers are. Right. And I want to read you a clip that Josh wrote about Eric. And he declared Annapolis lobbying firm Galley Public Affairs to be a pure and unadulterated winner. And he said, the firm Galley Public Affairs successfully worked bills to ban tanning bed use for minors, to raise the age to purchase tobacco products to 21, to strengthen forest conservation, create oyster sanctuaries, and make behavioral health sorry, behavioral health laws more humane. If you want to be a winner in the Maryland General Assembly, in your county council, or before state and local agencies, and this is me speaking, you want to contact Galley Public Affairs. Absolutely. And Eric Galley, who's sitting right behind us, he knows how to get things done. In fact, he is one of the most prominent lobbyists in Annapolis. And this guy, I can't wait to see what he does with this session. Maybe vaping. I mean, that's going to be a big issue. And he's shaking his head right now. It's, it's so important. That's, and the comptroller's also taking a page from Eric Galley and really studying the harmful effects of vaping unregulated, like this vitamin E problem that we have. And... You know, I gotta, I gotta ask you, Len, what happens when Ben Jones runs for governor in 2022? I don't think, I don't think that Ben's going to run for governor, but I, I'll just say, yeah, he's getting these checks from Jewel. Right. It's blood money. Hmm. It's blood money, and I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, we know, as you know, the comptroller has a deep-seated concern about the fact that these products are completely unregulated. We don't know what we don't know what's in this in these products and in these juices and oils that's going into people's lungs. Yeah. And we don't know what the long term health effects of, jewel, of of vaping is gonna be for kids or adults. And so we have this task force called EFACTS. So let's let's get let's get the facts and then from there let's put out a policy protocol for legislative consideration because it's gonna take some combination of regulation, law change and education and awareness, just like we did with tobacco, to get kids off. And that's and that's what we're seeing with this vaping issue, where teenage teenage use of vaping products has doubled just in the past year. Their marketing from the vape industry is somewhat short of brilliant. And and you know that they've they've done they've done three things. First, uh, they've created all these different flavors, right? The you know. 
blueberry bubblegum Kool-Aid that's clearly designed to be attractive to uh, adolescent and teenage consumers. Yeah. Number two, they've created they've created um, camouflage contraband where you can actually put vaping pens, disguise vaping pens as like a drawstring for a hoodie or put, something that's easily taken into school. Yeah, I mean the Today Show actually had a segment on this. Uh, Ryan, I have to check it out. Where you actually, where they actually had. Students actually had 35 yeah. counterf- you know, um, contraband vaping devices sitting out on desks, and a teacher went through and could really couldn't find any more than like a quarter of them. Yeah. And then the third thing is somehow they've con- managed to convince people that they are actually a smoking cessation device, and this is a healthy alternative to tobacco use, when in fact what's happening is these kids are getting addicted to the nicotine. And for anybody who is listening... The comptroller's office, they regulate they regulate alcohol. They regulate tobacco. Yeah. So it would obviously fall under your purview at the comptroller's office to take a hard look at this in the state of Maryland and study it further and and then find out what we can do legislatively. What is the public policy solution? And at the root of every public policy solution is the inherent need to do some good, right? right. To fix a either fix a problem or prevent one. So I'm hoping that and we and we didn't and we didn't want to act with undue haste. I mean, I think the the knee jerk, you know, immediate top, you know, hot take response would be, well, let's ban the product. That's I don't a, that, think so. That's a terrible idea because what you're going to do there, if you're if you're banning vaping products, they're going to go to a black market. They're going to go to a black market. Or even worse, they're going to go to cigarettes. Yeah, and that's a worse outcome. So, well, what happened this year in cigar in, in the state of Maryland? You can't purchase cigarettes until you're 21. And and the feds have just and the feds have just yeah. Uh, Trump's on board with that. They've just they've just they've just created that new law for uh, for vaping devices as well. You think Mark Elrich vapes? I don't. I don't think so. I don't. I think he's a healthy guy. I like Mark. Yeah. Actually, do you? I, I do. I, I know you guys have some issues these days. No, I don't have any issues. I just he and Peter have known each other for years, back dating back to their days. In his the friend park. called me today. She was not happy with me. What'd she say? Oh, she just asked me to take her name out of the column, but she gives him a lot of advice. I don't want to mention her name, but did you take her name out of the column? I haven't. Okay. I mean, I've been busy, but you've been getting, you've been coming down to Cult Classic and so <laughs> yeah, I've been getting beer and, and setting up this podcast, but. Now she called me today, and she's very pleasant and kind. And she asked me to remove her name, and you know we had a, you know it was an intense conversation. But uh, you know, look, he gets advice from this person, and you know, it is what it is. Well, look, Pete, I mean, Pete, you know, the, the same. I mean, Josh Kurtz will call Peter Franchot, put Peter Franchot in the loser circle <laughs> for the same reason you put Peter in the winner circle. Well, that while the while the Annapolis political machine is preparing his obituary. He is quietly, methodically going out, building his political constituency in preparation for 2022. It's wild, the team that you guys have built. And I sit back and watch it all, and I'm thinking, you guys have some of just the most diverse coalition of Maryland political voters from all political stripes, from conservatives to moderates to Democratic to, to, to Blue Dog Democrats to progressive Democratic socialists. And... I've never seen anything like it. You've, you've got Republicans. But then again, it's funny watching Peter when he does something, uh, when he puts out a piece of public policy, how different factions react. You know that, that he's on to something. And then there's independents who are in the middle to say, oh, okay, 
he's 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 doing what he's supposed to do. Um, but Peter Franco's political obituary has been written a number of times by people who d- don't quite get it or get outside of Annapolis or outside of the bubble. But Len, it's just remarkable the dynamic coalition that you've built. I, w- I was I was fortunate enough to be extended to uh, an invitation to Sabatino's last Wednesday night. Oh, that's right. It was so yeah. good to have you there, man. Uh, and and it was a, it was a privilege, and I appreciate it. I walked around and talked to a bunch of people, got some perspective and some feedback, and and there were people from all political stripes. It was unbelievable. That room was was packed shoulder to shoulder. It was like walking into a Cap Strategies party in Ocean City, but without a, you know, it was uh, Sabatinos and not Ocean City bar. R- running 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 the gamut from. Uh, some of so, you know, some of the standing remnants of the old Greek and and Italian uh, political factions and city politics. Yeah. To Richard DeShay Elliott, who came <laughs> out that night wearing, wearing his, his Joe, Joe Carter P- hoodie. Who was on the winners list? Joe P. Carter, who was running for Congress in the seventh district, certainly no fa- favorite of the Annapolis insider political machine, right? But, you know, can I just say something here? I mean, yeah, please. we were talking about how you know some of the political developments over the past year. Yeah, Ryan, if, if let's go back to January one of twenty eighteen. Joe Carter was a marginal figure in Annapolis. She was regarded as a gadfly. She was her, she was regarded as a, as politically dead ended, and so what happens? Nad Oaks resigns. Subsequently, goes to prison. She gets a primary challenge from a scion of the O'Malley political dynasty, nothing less than his son-in-law, J.D. Merrill. J.D. Merrill. She, yeah. she, she boat races him <laughs> in, the, in the 2018 Democratic primary, so she gains a halo of something of a giant killer. And then this past year, she kind of, you know, it's her legislation that exposes the self-dealing scandal that has plagued and enveloped ums for this past year and has really been the catalyst for some real culture change at that wonderful institution. And I'm telling you, as we sit right here tonight, if you ask me to pick a winner and put some actual money down on the table, who's going to win that congressional race? I'm picking Joe Carter. Yeah, I, I think that... I don't know how you feel about it, but... I, I think that it comes down to a couple different people. And I heard, was it Harry Styles? Yeah. He was on Morning Joe this morning at about 7... So Harry, St- Harry, Harry Styles was the guy who's, who's the lead singer from One Direction. He was the aide to. No, it's not Harry Styles. It's it's, it's Harry it's Stein. A, it's another Harry, but it's not Styles. Harry Styles was the singer for One Direction. I don't know. Somebody listening will interrupt and tell me in the feed. But anyway, he was on Morning hey, Joe. Uh, he just walked to the oh. restroom. So my thought is, it comes down to a couple people. Quafume. Uh, how do you say his name? Mfume. Mfume. The K is silent. Mfume. Who is a former congressman? He's an amazing guy. I, I haven't personally met him, but I've heard as much. And then Di- uh, Dr. Maya Rockamore Cummings, who had a devastating article written in the Washington Post. Len, that was, I, if I were another candidate and I were looking at that, and if I were, now none of these guys yet are going on the attack, but how, how can she, how can she explain her? How character? can she lead after that? How is that and, not and disqualifying? I I would have to ask the campaign, and I would advise them to hold a press would conference. Would they come on to the detail? 
would they I think Maya Rockamore Cummings Dr. Maya Rockamore Cummings I, she might she might if somebody asked her nicely if I asked nicely I, she might come on Joe P. Carter came on and Fume wants to come on. He's going to come on uh, at the beginning of the year. Quasi, he is such a he's such an impressive guy. He's, he has he's, done so much for the country. He's done so much for the city. But can you imagine the two splitting the vote and then Joe Carter creeping in? I can. That is a plausible scenario that I think very well could happen. And if you, I've interviewed her, and I I say today that she was one of the best interviews that I've ever had ever in the history of the detail. And so here, and so here's um, I'm kind of getting into my thinking in this race now I'm not sure I would feel the same way about her odds if this were a traditional election sure. on a traditional date. There's a bunch of people in there. Well, if this were if this were in you know in April of 2020 sure. and you had and you and you it was in, in late spring and you had the democratic presidential race going on but that special election is taking place in early February. It's a standalone primary. Mm-hmm. It's a special election. And I'm expecting a very, very low turnout. I think one, so. thing, one thing we know about Joe Carter's political base, they're battle-tested because she's a current elected office holder who has had to, you know, who has had to run competitive races. And, she, and because she is the most progressive candidate in the race, she has the most fervent, ideologically motivated base. Mm-hmm. Though her voters are going to get to the polls, no matter whether it's raining, snowing, sleeting, whatever. I'm not sure about the vote getting, the the, uh, the the voter mobilization apparatus of Kwasi and Fume and Maya Rockingmore Cummings. Look at that, Clay Mitchell. Can we just say something about Clay Mitchell? I want to. I'm glad he's here. Say something about. He's Clay. a dear friend, and and I wouldn't just put him on the winners list because he's he's a friend of mine, and I mean that sincerely. I don't. The older you get, Len, you realize that the the friends you you call friends are maybe just peripheral, but. He's a dear friend. He's been he one of the biggest supporters of, of what I'm trying to accomplish. Same with you. I mean, unquestionably. This is so good. Two days before Christmas, and we're <laughs> Two days. sitting here with friends. We're sitting here with friends and our and our friend Eric Galley, who made it all the way down from Rockville, the neck of the woods that I'm from. But Clay Mitchell is the new patriarch of the Mitchell family. The keeper of the flame. His dad was just a unbelievably wonderful and decent fundamentally decent man and uh, we lost him this year June 14th uh, it was a th- well, 13th or 13th uh, it was a Thursday evening and I remember Clay he called me on Friday morning and told me what happened and uh, it was it, it, it's been a tough year for in Maryland Pol- but he came over and he has been a champion Clay that is uh, and his father a champion of the Eastern Shore, um, and you know, you always remember the the first time you meet a real political big shot, <laughs> right? Yeah. When you're a kid, just starting out in this business. For me, it was Don Munson and Ron Bowers. Well, my, for me, it was Speaker Mitchell. Hmm. 1990 or 91, the Dorchester Democratic Club. And Clay, you may, you might remember this back when we used to have the Dorchester Democratic Club used to have its annual fundraisers at the old. Legion Hall, post-91, featured guest speaker, Speaker Mitchell. This is when he was still Speaker of the House. And I paid my $15 to get into the crab feast. And this is when Fred, this was, this was such a good time in politics. That's when Fred Marcus was still our state senator. And oh, that's my. When what a name. Q Johnson was still in the House of Delegates. Yeah. Remember Q? Yeah. And, and, and Clay Mitchell was Speaker of the House. And I had, and I had, and, 
and I was a little bit nervous about me. I was just I was a senior in college. I didn't know anybody. I hadn't done anything. And I actually and I and I asked uh, I asked Calvin Travers. You know Calvin? Yep. Known for years. Yeah. Calvin Travers came brought me up and introduced me to speaker uh. Mitchell. And it was the thrill of my life. Yeah. To meet the speaker, the, for me, this kid from Cambridge, to meet the speaker of the house, and he was so patient with me, and spent so much time with me. It's probably only a couple minutes. But looking back in my memory, it was like an hour, and I never forgot that. These 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 moments in Maryland politics, you guys. He's my been, speaker, and it will be forever. Well, yeah, and he was he was a hell of a guy. We miss him, and uh, it, it, it's. I mean, we lost two speakers this year. Incredible. We lost, and you know, my, I got to tell you, my, my thoughts and prayers are with the Miller family. This can't be easy. No, especially not around the holidays. No, and I, I, I know from my own experience with losing my father-in-law in January, uh, Kim's dad passed away, and he was a young guy and in his 70s, and uh, it's been hard, but uh, she's powering through it. And are you guys going to get down to the shore anytime soon? Oh, my God, yes. Lynn, we live here. This is our second home. When are you going to come back down? When are we going to go to Snifters? Snifters? Joe? Joe Petro. Joe Petro. Uh, in January. Okay. It's going to be on a weekend. Hey, Clay, when, uh, when Ryan and Kim come down to Snifters, will you join us? Bring Roy down? Yeah. That'll oh, be a hell of a time. Yeah. We'll plan that out after this podcast. First round on me. All right. Okay. And the second, second round, and third round on me. And then the fourth and fifth. By, and by that maybe point, six. we'll all be schnockered. So it'll be well, we'll be staying probably at... Uh, at a bed and breakfast, and I have to pump, I have to plug my favorite place in, in St. Michael's. What's that? Because you know I got married there. Right. Old Brick Inn. Nice. Old Brick Inn. That's where we always stay. And we're going to Florida this year, the day after Thanksgiving, so if anybody's listening, don't rob my house. Um, Maybe we'll next year, the day after Thanksgiving. Or rather, no, the day after Christmas, this year, we're going to Florida. We're going to go see Kim's mom down in South Florida. Oh, where does she live? She lives in Port Charlotte. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it's warm down there. I remember going down to Port... The Texas Rangers used to train in Port Charlotte. Oh, yeah. For years. Remember Walker, Texas Ranger? I do. That I, was Chuck Norris? I do. Hmm. I, I was talking about the Texas Rangers. Yeah. You yeah. know who the Chuck Norris is of the Hogan administration? Wait a minute. The Chuck Norris? The Chuck Norris of the Hogan administration is Kara Bowman. Nice. Yeah. What a... What a... We put her on the winner's circle this year. She was. She was on the winner's circle. Public affair, just unbelievable person, a fundamentally decent. Uh, one of the most, one of the coolest people that I have ever had the privilege of working with in state government. So, man, we we got to talk about what's going on with this transportation issue. I've been. I interviewed the comptroller last uh, Monday night. <laughs> you got. I was sitting up. Listen to this. It was pouring rain. It was a miserable night. Freaking miserable. And I was sitting in the sleep in next to Mount. How the hell did you pick the sleep in? You know what? I picked the sleep in because Mount Saint. I called Susan, and I said, "Susan, oh my God, the uh, the Mount Saint Mary's campus is closed because that's my graduate school." Right. I said, "Next door is the sleep in." I'm gonna set up shop. I acted like I was staying there. Walked in, pulled out my suitcase full of uh, microphones, and then in comes you guys. As you didn't call him, but you just kind of commandeered like the little breakfast just, nook yeah. where everyone goes to have their turnover waffles yeah. and yeah, in the morning. The continental breakfast. Peter and Andy come in. You were, you, you were you were escorting them. They had their trooper, and uh, we <laughs> interviewed. Yeah, that was, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's just that's what we do, right? That's yeah. what we do. 
that interview has been one of the most listened to podcasts that I've done to date. And we talked about right. the P- Peter Franchos, uh, his concerns with the governor's P3 project. And I'm referring to the governor's project that would widen the beltway, improve public transportation in, in, in Montgomery County, right. I-270, 495, traffic crisis, gridlock. We know the problems, American Legion Bridge. And so back in June, Peter, who's part of the Board of Public Works, him and Nancy Kopp and the governor, uh, Peter supported to move forward to, I think, study the program, the, the, the governor. Well, he actually, he actually authorized the Maryland DOT to initiate the RFP for right. AP3. Uh, for requ- request for proposal. Request for proposal, thank right. you, from on the segment of Interstate 270, from, if you're familiar with, if, you're, if your watchers and listeners are familiar with uh, the Capitol Beltway, from where I-270 intersects with the Capitol Beltway up to 370. Yeah. That was the governor's proposal at the time. Yeah. And we agree, and we said, okay, let's get the project started. So what happened then? The governor came back, there were some amendments to it, and then uh, the comptroller said, let's, let's look at this, let's study it. And he had some disagreements, and then all of a sudden we see Facebook blowing up with the governor I, I think he's running a, a public relations campaign that right. doesn't, to me, make a whole lot of sense. And I've always been very fair to the governor, but I don't understand it. And I yeah. just, I have to ask you, has he picked up the phone? Has, has Peter and him had an opportunity to really sit down and hash this out? Uh, no, I mean, our, our staffs are talking. I mean, I talk, Well, here's another thing. Matt Clark is a terrific guy. He's the governor's chief of staff, and we talk on a regular basis. And. Greg Slater is one of the best people I have yeah. ever had the privilege of working with. Greg's going to do well. Greg is working in very good faith to try to build levels of agreement with the local governments in Montgomery and Prince George's County, as well as the transportation planners at the Park and Planning Commission. Um, but have, have the governor and the comptroller had a substantive conversation? Not yet, and I agree with you. I think it needs to happen. I think, I think they're he, friends, Lynn. They're friends. They get along well. The, yeah. the comptroller has never ever trash this governor Agreed. and yes they have some political disagreements but this is a policy disagreement i wouldn't even say it's political and i well, think I'm not even, and i'll be honest with you Ron. i'm not even sure it's a disagreement as much as it is just a request to tap the brakes just a second because we're talking about the largest public private partnership in north american history and before we go into something with undue haste and set ourselves up for catastrophic failure later on. Let's take a step back. Let's build some local consensus. Let's fi- let's figure out. Let's let's get all the questions answered. Let's put all the data on the table, and let's make an informed decision. So all Peter's asking for really is more time to make sure we are doing this right. Then we owe that to the taxpayers, right? Yeah. And so my my question is to the governor. Um, why not just? slow it a bit, have a conversation, and solve this. I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong, but as I wrote today as a cautionary piece of advice, and <laughs> look, I'm not one to shell out any political advice, but I would just say that you guys are pretty damn good at public relations. Well, Peter, I, I'm just a humble, humble government worker. but I'm, And I'm not just saying that because you're Lynn, but I've noticed this for years. You, you guys are good at public relations, and the, the governor has hired a tremendous staff. Mike, who is his uh, number oh, one, Gracie, yeah. just absolutely brilliant. I love the guy. I think he's been nothing but fair and honest and open and transparent. And 
even someone me who's just kind of emerging into the, the Annapolis press corps, he's been always fair, always willing to answer my questions. I just wish the gov look, the governor doesn't have to make a foe out of the comptroller. Comptroller is, is it's, somebody... It's, it's interesting. I'm not really sure what... I'll be honest with you. I'm not really sure what... Maybe he's isolated. Maybe. I don't maybe know. he's isolated. And maybe... I mean, some of his top people left, but there's just no... Se or maybe he should take a look at the people who are posting his social media stuff and think, all right, guys, we've got to dial this back. This yeah. this stuff needs to be really dialed back. Actually, I, I mean, I'll just give you some insight into what Peter's thinking is. Peter's not trying to foresaw the project because Peter lives in Montgomery County. Yeah, he does. And in Tacoma Park. He does, and he, dri he drives the Beltway. He drives Interstate 270 on a regular basis. He knows something has to be done. He also knows that to do it this way, yeah. with undue haste, in the face of overwhelming local opposition from com communities, and from the local elected officials, it's just a dead end street. That yeah. this is nothing more than a this is nothing more than a footpath to to endless litigation and protest and gridlock. And so, far from trying to stall the project, he's actually trying to save the project by making sure it's done better and making sure it's the the process is done right. Do you think that Peter would hire Stephanie Mellinger to be his fundraiser? She'd be a very, very good get. Yeah. She would be a game changer, but um, but I think she's not. I think she's locked up with Richard and Baker, who has no campaign debt, but they're still retiring it. I'm a little bit interested in why Richard and Baker, who sits on the University of Maryland Medical Systems Board, given everything that occurred with that with that August body, why Richard, having accepted a position as Senate President Miller's designee to the board, would then start raising money. So that's a good question. I think that creates a perception issue that doesn't really have to exist. I asked them that, and they say that he's retiring campaign debt. That's, that's I can't not get any other there. It's still... I can't get any other answers other it, than that. It's a, it, it's, it just opens the window to to something that we really don't need. Cause that, that's an amazing system. Yeah, right? maybe we should... Maybe that's a story that we need to look more into. Let me just say this, if I can. Just a point of personal privilege. My son Darren, who recently suffered from seizures, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry, Lynn. He's, he's, he's doing okay. No, now. I've been following that, and it's it's hard to watch because you know that's that's your boy. He was in a really tough spot earlier this year. I mean, he had a five minute seizure. It was one of the most severe grand malls that anybody had ever seen, and they and they and they transported him to the University of Maryland Medical System, and the doctors, the nurses, the administrators, the support staff. They just couldn't have been any better. They diagnosed the problem. They put out. A, they gave us a very quick treatment protocol, and they had an amazing bedside manner. They made a very frightened little boy come away feeling reassured and better about the situation. Yeah. I cannot thank them enough, and that's why I hate to see anything that compromises the reputation of what these amazing professionals are doing on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. I I, co I come at this from a position of love for for ums. And I'm sorry that you've gone through that. But Thank you. You're going to be stronger, I know, coming on out. And Darren, he's in good hands with the University of Maryland Medical System. Darren is getting a, a new gaming PC, and if I have to imagine, he's climbing around in the attic now at the house trying to find where we've packed the thing. Len, let me tell you, I love the pictures of when you take your boy over to the Nationals games. Got to mention the Nationals. God almighty. Got to mention it. Man, that was, the, that was the that was the best four weeks of my life. And I'm a Red Sox fan, and I was I was strongly rooting for the Nationals. Just 
You know what that was for us? Baseball in our family unites us. And, you know, every family has their set of issues. And But when we get together, watch baseball with my granddad, who's 94, it's, it's like nothing else matters. And we just watch the game and enjoy it. And that was uh, that was a good time for our family. It really I, was, I was there the night that they won the wild card game against oh, yeah. Milwaukee, and I was there the night they in won October. The, they won when they won the pennant against St. Louis, and it was just a state of absolute rapture. I just you know I will think back to those nights for the rest of my life. And, and I'm sure sharing that moment with your son is, yeah. is amazing. And my son Josh, you know we we love music and we it's just the older i get the more that i appreciate just the little things really i mean just those little moments that when they come home from school and they just tell you about their day and it's uh yeah it's it's emotional it's touching and that's that's what matters you know if, even if i didn't have any of this politics stuff and i i love doing this the only thing that i really really want is just family and this is the most important Ultimately, that's all it comes down that's to it it's it really is and just uh so when do you leave for florida uh 26 Awesome. Yeah, we're excited. That's really cool. When rapid fire, things things that happened this year that were pivotal, that were game-changing. We already mentioned the election of Speaker Jones. We mentioned, um, very sadly, um, Mike Bush passing and Senate, Miller, uh, Senate President Miller's uh, cancer. And... What else? There's a lot of things that happened this year. It's unbelievable. You, you know, when states tend to be defined by their biggest cities. When you think of Pennsylvania, you think of Philadelphia. When you think of Texas, you think of Dallas. When yeah. you think of Florida, you think of Miami. And Maryland, for a lot of people, is Baltimore. And Baltimore went through the worst, arguably the worst year of its, of its history this past year. Tough. The mayor's going to prison. She's uh, being fitted for an outfit, and look. The police commissioner is in prison. Um, a former state, longtime state lawmaker, Nat Oaks, is in prison. And you know who else is going, is probably going to go to prison? Cheryl Glenn. The breaking Cheryl news of today, first reported, I believe, by the Baltimore Sun. That was the, the breaking news on my yeah. phone. Cheryl Glenn, who did extraordinary work, Lynn, on medical cannabis $33,000 in federal in, in bribes what is that she sold herself cheap I mean it's just it's mind boggling man she's gonna go to, she's gonna someone who is beloved I know beloved and 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 you know why to the extent that Maryland is defined by Maryland the richest most vibrant state in the nation is defined by its biggest city the state of Maryland's hurting right now and the mayor is going to jail. There's this big mayoral election now with, between Jack Young and Brandon Scott and Mary Washington and, and what, TJ and... Thruvin Naraja. Thruvin Naraja, who, by the way, is running a hell of a campaign. I hear that all over the place. Thruvin Naraja is probably running one of the most decent, foundational, textbook political campaigns that Certainly I have Certainly the most message-disciplined campaign. My God. And and he I I'm just I interviewed through. He's a brilliant guy. Yeah, he's he a is. brilliant guy. And you know who might break through in this? Mary, Mary Washington. Washington. Mary Washington has real potential. Because you know what? It it's not about liberal versus moderate. It's not about finding those ideological points on the spectrum. People are desperate for government with competence and for government with integrity. Yeah. 
and she brings both to the table. I got you a Christmas present. What's that? A gift card. I did. I got you a gift card. You have to do that. Yeah. Well, you know, I I, I bought them um, from Sheila Dixon. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I did. And Sheila Dixon is making a triumphant return. I believe in redemption, Lynn. But I also believe that it takes some time to earn that trust of the voters back. Well, and I, I, I don't think I don't think that you find redemption at the ballot box. And you know what? That's that's a good point. If you were to guess today how this election is going to go down, how it's going to turn out, I honestly couldn't tell you. I think that Baltimore City election is going to be one of the most watched mayoral race in the country, given the circumstances yeah. of the previous mayor. Jack M has a real opportunity to pull it out. But, but here's the question I have, Ryan. But, but everything going wrong in the city right now, including and putting all this other stuff about political corruption aside, yeah. Baltimore is just drowning in, in gun violence and murder. Yeah, it's sad. How, how can people go to the polls and say, you know what, things are going pretty well in Baltimore. I'm going to return the incumbent to office. You're talking about Jack. I am talking about Jack. Jack is... And I'm not saying it's all fair, but you know when you're the incumbent... You wear the good news and you wear the bad news. And you you do. Uh, so it's going to be a fascinating election. So is the 7th District. They're, they're not mutually exclusive either. Look, there's some big problems. And I, I just want to say this. And I am, I'm going to soon interview a, a gal named Kimberly Clasick. She's running for Congress. She's a Republican, African-American female. All right. I didn't think that what she did to Elijah Cummings to the district was fair with taking yes we know we know what's going on in baltimore city we know as marylanders that we have problems but to lay that at the feet exclusively at elijah cummings feet is a cheap hit job i i, I think it says that, more about her than it does about the city. i just think that it could have been can it, it could have been better i and, agree but there's no let's face it man there's not going to be a republican who wins that seat right it's going to be it's going to be one of three people, and we know that. And that's the way the election's going to go. That's the way we're forecasting it. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Joe P. Carter pulls it out. I really am. I'm sad because she's got this activist group of people. How about Talmadge Branch? We haven't talked about him. Good guy. Um, smart. Been around for a while. Has influence within the uh, Maryland Black Caucus in the, in the, in the House of Delegates. Right. Um, I did, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Um, There's a lot of people who are who are running, but it, isn't it interesting? And not that I, I don't want to beat up on Maya Rockmore Cummings because look, she just lost her husband. It's devastating, right? I mean, if I I'll tell you what, if I lost Kim, and I talked to her, I and Kim and I <laughs> we talk about everything, but I said I don't. There's no way I could possibly get up. I said I would be in bed every day. I don't know how I could get out of bed. But there's no way I could ever run. If you were in Congress, Kim, I told her, there's no way I could run for your seat. I'd be devastated. But that's not to say that everybody's different, right? And I right. give her credit. I understand she's doing, she's trying to carry out his legacy. But his daughters didn't endorse her. She's, she, she didn't get the Al Revolution. And she's progressive. Don't get me. She's very progressive. Yeah. What's going on with that? I just don't know what lane she's trying. I mean, Josh Kurtz had a great column today oh, and about how the best about about how candidates eventually have to kind of pick a lane, and it's not necessarily about it's not necessarily about picking a lane as, as much as it is honing in on a singular message. Yeah. 
you know, finding your space in the race. And I'm not sure she has really found the space, the, the space in the race. And I think, it, it, and, and I could see this contest coming down to a, a clash between the old and the new. And Kwasi Fume is the tried and true. He's a national statesman. He's a Baltimore legend. And a good man. And people could and, and people could easily find themselves looking for looking for that stability and, and, and comfort in a time when there's been so much upheaval in Baltimore. And they could say, you know what, we need a person of real stature yeah. and leadership. Or they could say, we need something completely different from what we've had before, Joe Carter. Yeah. I don't know where Maya fits into that. I don't know. She's... She's gonna she's gonna have some money. She's gonna run a consultant-driven campaign. She's gonna spend a lot of money on consultants. She's gonna prop. She might even be on television. Let's bring in Eric. You wanna come over and talk, Eric? I'm, sure. Can I give Eric my? I have to go hit the head real quick. You gotta go. No, I guess I go to the bathroom real quick. Okay. I've had like three beers. Right. I'm gonna give Eric my headphones and I'll come back. Okay. Eric, hop in here, cues. He's gonna jump on the Peloton. Ladies and gentlemen, our sponsor, Eric Galley. Eric, you, this is the first time on the podcast. Yes, it is. How are you? I'm doing good. How you are a, you? you got a hell of a radio voice. You know, I actually, it's interesting. When I was uh, in high school, oh, the local station in Kingston, New York, a guy there named Ward Todd invited me. I, I, I won some contest or something, and he heard my voice, and he invited me in. <laughs> and... Uh, well, then he promptly gave me a thing. To, he was selling admissions to a broadcasting school, yeah. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, <laughs> or something like that. So. Yeah, all, all you have to do is now say WNBC. Yes, sir. WNBC. I love that. I love that movie. I'm a I'm a huge Private Parts fan, huge mm -hmm. Howard Stern fan. Eric, um, tell us a little bit about your your public affairs agency. Well, you know, I worked uh, I worked in newspapers covering politics for a little while, and then I worked for in the New York State Legislature. And when my wife and I came down to uh, Baltimore, I got a job with the American Cancer Society, and they as their director of communications. But they were also looking to start a legislative program, and since I had done legislative work in 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 Albany up in New York. Uh, they thought I would be a good fit with the combination and um, I had a great time there and then Three or four years into that several people that I worked with said, you know, if you put up a shingle I'd hire you so I put up my shingle and they hired me. Oh, not all of the people who said it did but most of them did <laughs> Well, you certainly have a, a lobbying firm that has gotten a lot of traction and uh, you're <laughs> You're one of the good guys. They call you white hat lobbyists. What is it? What does that mean? Well, it, it means that I only take on good issues, uh, um, and, and I do only take on issues that I think are, are considered, you know, wholesome. Um, but that being said, there are a lot of issues that are neither super great or super bad that we would be happy to entertain. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of fun those times where I've had, you know... Verizon versus Comcast on something or something like that, you know, and it's nice if you're, you know, your heart's, you don't live and die, and it's nice once in a while to practice your trade, so we're open to, to most things. There are, of course, things that we wouldn't do, but um, we do have some, you know, things that are dear and dear to my heart, yeah. uh, the American Cancer Society, the Heart Association, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, uh, folks like that. Well, so. and plug your website. 
or galleypublicaffairs.com, and there's no E in galley, so it's G-A-L-L-Y publicaffairs.com. So check out Eric Galley at galleypublicaffairs.com. You're gearing up for session. It's going to be a fun year. What do you think is the hot ticket items this year uh, coming down the pike? Well, obviously the Kerwin uh, education funding is going to be a major issue. Um, Can we afford it? Well, you know, we can't afford it. I'm not saying we automatically should, but a lot of these things are, are investments. And, and I think exactly the amount that we should spend and, and how we should do it are things that are going to be debated. Yeah. But, you know, it, there are things that are worth spending money on, and if you do them correctly, you'll get the money back from them. I think that we have some big decisions to make and yeah. I read the Kerwin report I was probably only one of uh, you know a thousand people who read this comprehensive report and, and look we need to make sure that Maryland schools are top-notch mm. and I know that's pretty basic and, and granular but the, the the education recommendations inside are, are certainly worthy but I think the biggest concern is from the counties is how that will impact the county budget what what the tax burden might be so I like you think that that's going to be the issue that dominates this legislative session yeah it's a very reasonable those are very reasonable concerns the issue becomes is this just so important and mm -hmm. so important for the future of our state is it something we should bite the bullet and do and right. I yeah, that's where I lean, uh, but I understand that people are concerned about it. Right. So, well, Eric, you made the trek down here to uh, the Chesapeake country, and I appreciate it. You're sponsoring this podcast. It means a lot, and I'm sure that uh, you and I will come into contact. And I, what I want to do is when we hit the middle of session, I want to do a long-form interview with you oh, okay. to kind of gauge where what's happening with legislation. I, I mean, there's really nobody better than you then to to keep us abreast of these big policy decisions so well i really appreciate that yeah i mean you're 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 a star in annapolis and i i appreciate you coming down here i appreciate you being part of this and it just it means a lot and thank you for for your support you know uh, thank you very much you know i could hear you talking along the way but i could not hear len except my wife texted me that there was a pearl washington reference so <laughs> i have got to i've got to get to the bottom of that but that's very interesting well, I have we got to bring foxwell back in here and yeah. he he will explain this. Len, we're, we're gonna and we're gonna talk about this Pearl Washington reference again. And which I didn't hear. Mr. Uh, Galley's gonna pass the microphone over to you. My wife texted me. I, I couldn't hear you because your back is to me. So I've never been compared to Pearl Washington before. So you know, it's NCAA basketball. The season essentially runs concurrent with the with the Maryland General Assembly session. It kind of. It really gets on the way in earnest in January, and if you're good enough, you play until April, <laughs> right? And in many cases, signy die in the General Assembly has occurred on the evening of the NCAA Men's National Championship game. And so I was thinking about a way to talk about Eric Galley this evening, knowing that he's a Syracuse fan. And I said, you know, to myself, Eric really is a Pearl Washington type. Now he was I'm male pattern baldness. That's the only thing I can think of that I have in common with Pearl. Yeah, you know, he was. Yeah, you know, the guy. The, I mean, the guy could. The guy could do it all. He was multifaceted. Uh, but he, you know, Pearl Washington was also. A it was also a player in the game like Eric, who excelled by working hard and by doing the little things right. 
and Pearl Washington would gather strength and build steam as January gave way to February, February gave way to March, and come late March, just as Pearl Washington was the most dangerous player in the NCAA, Eric Galley is one of the most dangerous men in Annapolis because he's smart, he works harder than everybody else, and he's got he, he picks the right fights. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and you are the you are the Pearl Washington man of Annapolis. Yeah, I would see. I would have just said the, the the similarities between me and Pearl begin and end with our lack of hair. <laughs> he he would have called him. He would have sold himself short. He would he would have said, "Well, I'll sell it for being the Raphael Addison of Syracuse <laughs> of, of, of of Annapolis." But no, I think he's the Pearl. You know who else went to Syracuse? Megan Kelly. That's right. She did. She was a who, by the way, Charlize Theron plays her in the new movie Bombshell. Megan Kelly went to Syracuse Law School. Is that right? Yeah, she did. Who else went to Syracuse? Uh, Julia Pitcher, right? Yeah. Yes, she did. Went to Syracuse. Yeah, uh, and her dad, Bill Pitcher, is now part of what? Um, uh, uh, Bellamy. That's right, Bellamy Jen. Bellamy and Jen, yeah. But Julia went to Syracuse after it started deteriorating a little bit, yeah. so she wasn't there for the good old days. She's, she's, a, she's a kid. What years did she go? You know, I don't know exactly, but when it, she brings it up, I say, oh, you're a kid. Just, you know, just shush, child. Uh, she, I never actually say that. What, what year did you graduate? I graduated in 1988. Oh, my God. So so Eric, so Eric was there during the glory years of Ronnie Cycli and... Yeah. Pearl and Raphael Addison, Derek Coleman. Yeah. Uh, when Derek Coleman took Syracuse to the national, the men's national title game against yes. Michigan. I covered, you know, because of the way that the student, I worked for the Daily Orange, and I was the sports editor, and because of the way the year was, I got to cover that Final Four in April of '87, oh, and then that's... I covered a Sugar Bowl in January in 1988. And since we didn't have a live paper in January of 1988, I remember Sports Illustrated, which was, of course, the be-all and end-all if you wanted to be a sports writer, hired us to get quotes for them at the Sugar Bowl and paid us like 400 bucks a piece. Three of wow. us, like 400 bucks. We all, Len, you had a hell of a, a, a college experience at Salisbury. When I was up in Pittsburgh at Duquesne, my undergraduate, that was a great sports town with Pitt and, yeah. and the Steelers and for hockey. I'm a, I'm a huge hockey fan. And Sarah, I mean, Syracuse, you think of this cold New York City, but I, I'm telling you, these, these places that we went to school to, I had the best experience ever when I was in college. I interned at the first radio station ever to broadcast a KDKA radio. No kidding. Yeah, that was, my, that was one of my college internships. And I'll tell you a secret, and anybody's watching, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this. You know who my first guy that I ever interned for? In government, in in, in in federal government, in, in the United States Senate, take a guess. Wait a minute. First, uh, Rick Santorum. Yes, Rick Santorum. Is that true? Yes, I was his intern, and I used to drive Santorum all about Pittsburgh. And he's one of the most fascinating people I've ever met. Has an ego the size of the state of Pennsylvania, but who also is very passionate about pro-life issues. And, and very smart, and his state director remind, actually reminded me a lot of, of you, very talented, a smart political operative, gave me, he saw this young kid who was interested in politics, and he said, I'll tell you what, you want to learn about politics? Forget all this BS of inside the office. Drive Rick around Pittsburgh. Take him to these different events. You'll learn more than you ever want to know. No kidding. And I got my first job out of college because of Rick's state director. 
and I went to work for Bill Schuster, who was uh, from Altoona. From Altoona, his dad was Bud Schuster, was the former uh, yeah. chairman of the, the House so Transportation. I, so, so I dated a girl uh, back in the '90s from Altoona. She was a, she was a newspaper reporter at the at the Eastern Star Democrat. We met there, and she's <laughs> from Altoona. First time I ever went to Altoona. Now it's a it's a town that's had its share of hits, yeah. right? Altoona, Johnstown, that whole interstate uh, uh, quarter. Jack and Murtha. Jack Murtha, yeah. And I and I noticed, oh my God, the roads here, like, I mean, maybe they're not paved with gold, but I think there are some precious minerals in this in this asphalt. Yeah. And then I learned about the power. Of Bud Schuster and the whole transportation reauthorization process. You, you know he has a highway <laughs> app named after him. the Bud Schuster Highway, uh, Interstate 80. Yeah, and 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 in mid Pennsylvania. Yeah, a great district. It was the ninth congressional district at the time when I was working for Bill. <laughs> you know who I also interned for and, and worked for? Who's that? Well, he's not in Congress anymore who because was, he had yeah. a scandal. Oh, you know what? I worked for two interesting people. You know, I worked for in in the summer of uh, 2007 as the press intern on the Hill during my between my junior and senior year of college. Senator or con- representative? Congressman. I don't know. A little guy by the name of Mike Pence. Oh, really? I worked for Congressman Mike Pence of Indiana, and let me tell you something. I saw Pence for three months every single day of my life. A decent man. A truly decent man who many, many conversations I've had one-on-one with him. He's a nice guy. I'll never understand what he's doing in this administration because he truly has faith and he truly believes in a higher power. Well, had he, well, had he not taken that, that helicopter off the roof, so to speak... He was probably going down in his gubernatorial re-election campaign, he was. right? He was going to lose. So, I mean, this was, this was a career-saving move for him. Yeah, I think so. And I think that Trump was wise enough to listen to people who surrounded him to say, yeah. you need to pick a guy that kind of circles all factions of the party. And Mike Pence has largely stayed in the background. You don't hear much from him. You really don't. He's kind of in the, back, in the backdrop. Yeah. But I will say that my experience with Mike Pence was positive. Now, his staff were very religious. They encouraged us to attend these religious meetings and prayer sessions. And look, as a 21-year-old guy, I wasn't really into that at the time. That's not why you go to the Hill. No, but I will say that Mike Pence was nothing but decent to me. And I I applaud him for that. His wife, Karen, was wonderful. I remember meeting his three children. And I had many nice one-on-one conversations with him, and he gave me some good advice. And um, He's a good guy, and I, and I hate to see him engulfed in this because, look, once you get involved in, in something that is, is not so good, uh, you, you're kind of you stained. But anyway, um, the other guy that I worked for on the Hill was a little – you might know this name, but Congressman Tim Murphy, who resigned in well, Detroit. Sure. Yeah, he was resi- 18th Congressional District, Upper Sinclair, Republican District. He resigned in disgrace. Well, I was going to say, under a real cloud of yeah. uh, sex scandal. Yeah, he had a he had an affair. He asked his mistress to get an abortion as a pro-life congressman. So, but Tim Murphy... Mistakes were made. Mistakes, a lot of mistakes. But he had a decent staff. He, he was... Tim Murphy was a complicated guy, but he still did really well for his district. People liked him. They continued to re-elect him. And... Um, 
Pittsburgh was one of those cities that I lucked out in, man. It's a great you, city, man. It's an amazing city. And I think, you know, I got accepted to the University of Maryland. I could have gone to a couple of different schools. I chose Pittsburgh because I wanted to be far enough away from my parents, but close enough that I could come home on the weekends, Lynn. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, you know, Lynn, I was thinking about my life and, you know, some of the bad decisions I made, the good decisions that I've made, and the best decision I ever made was asking Kim to marry me. And she's watching. I mean, I... I love my wife. You love your. I, she makes me the man that I am. She's terrific. She is, and you're very fortunate. She's, uh, and and people have always wondered. You know, it's interesting. People have wondered aloud about my relationship with my wife, and they say, "Well, what goes on?" And it's, it's like, who wonders about your? Relationship? Uh, you know, people have made remarks and said things. It's like, well, let me tell you what. She rules the roost in the house. There's no doubt. I mean, I follow her lead. She's a remarkable human being, and she's shaped me into the man that I am. And she, in many respects, she's uh, she's saved me from myself many, many times, and I'm lucky to have her. I'm lucky. I, I would respectfully suggest, having seen the two of you together, that you're both lucky. Thank you. Each of Thank you. you. To, 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 you. To, to, to quote, to quote the, 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 the chit from... Wedding crashers, wedding crashers, each of you have found your soul's counterpoint. Each of you has found your. Incidentally, we got. What, what was her name? What was her name? Uh, Claire. Claire. Her yes. name was Claire. And she was played by Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams. And, and she was dating. She was engaged to Sack Lodge. She was. It's a great American family. Oh, two stuff. great American families. Unite. <laughs> and uh, Sack. He, you know, and Christopher Walken was like, there's a ferry on the next one. He goes, see your way out. I suggest you find yourself on it. You know, that was, incidentally, we got engaged at the Anna Perry cabin. Did you really? Yeah, on a little bridge on the uh, on the side that's closest to Tillman Island. I got engaged. I, I Listen, you'll love this story. I got down on, I, we walked out to this bridge, and I had all of this planned in my head. And I said, <laughs> this is what I said. And me being nervous, I said, uh, oh, God damn it! i got to tie my shoe. So I go down to tie my shoe. I had the ring in my pocket. I pulled it out. And I said, we have had a remarkable journey together. And I said, I could not imagine spending my life with anybody else but you. Will you marry me? She was so shocked. She didn't know what to say. I said, is that a yes? And she said, yes. Yes, I will marry you. And it was, it was beautiful. We stayed at the end of Perry Cabin. We got married in St. Michael's. And I'm telling you, Lynn... One of these days, I'm going to end up being your neighbor in Easton. That would be amazing. In Talbot County. We could do this. We could do this show all the time. Yeah, we could be um, Laurel and Hardy. Um, and if you could just come over to my house on Sunday night. Yeah. And we could do the show. I love it. You know who we got to get on here? Hey, Jimmy? <laughs> oh, no. no. Um, your choice for governor in the Democratic Party. Oh, Alec Ross? Alec Ross. He's a brilliant guy. Good luck getting him. The guy travels the world like you and I travel around. I interviewed Alec Ross back in 2018. He came, actually 2017, he came to my office and we sat down and talked. He's a nice guy. He's a great guy. He's one of my favorite. You know, he ran a, he ran an upstart campaign and I really thought, I was disappointed that he didn't do as well 
but uh, he he picked Joey Verratti, who's just one of my favorite people in the and world. Who's, who's, and who's hosting a, a fundraiser for Peter right before session starts? When is that? Uh, it's I think it's the Monday before Monday or two, the, either the Monday before session or the Tuesday before session. Okay, it's going to be at Denizens. I'll let you know. Yeah, I'll be there. But one of my favorite stories about Alec Ross. Alec calls me because we Alec didn't have a staff. He, he had to really speak of. He didn't really. Yeah, he he was. It was an upstart shoestring campaign. He calls me and says, hey, I'd like to do some campaigning in St. Michael's on Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> Just walk the streets. Did you go to the brewery? So we, I said, okay, this is great, Alec. We'll walk down Talbot Street. I'll, we'll go in a bunch of stores. We start off at Lion Distilling. Yep. And, uh, Lion yep. and St. Michael's Winery. That's right. And uh, Eastern Shore Brewing. They're all right there together. And we started at the distillery, had a few shots of whiskey. Then we went to the winery and sample some great new Chardonnay. And then we went to Eastern Shore Brewing. By the time we got up, we were wasted. Yeah. I mean, we were absolutely wasted. And and Tom Brennan, who's now on our staff, he was Alec Ross's special assistant. He was Alec's body guy. And, and like Tom was having to babysit us two idiots while we were just like went up and down Talbot Street. Did you go to Johnny's place? We did go to Johnny's you place. We went to Carpenter Street? We went to C Street. We went to Limoncello. We went to Blackthorn. We yeah. went to Julia Foxwell, my sister. We went to, we went to the jewelry store that she works at. Your sister, man. Let me tell it's you. icon. I sat next to your sister at MD Strategic Consulting's Mako Party. Myself, Julia Foxwell, and Andrew Friedson. And we sat there, and we had an hours-long conversation of some of the most hilarious mo- I'm telling you what, your sister has never made me laugh as hard. I mean, she has a great... I mean, now you know where all the looks and brains went in the family. Oh, she's, she's pretty remarkable. Unbelievable. Funny as hell. You know, Lynn, as we uh, wrap up this show, um, I, I just want to say to you, uh, my friend, that uh, you know, Christmas is a time to, to tell people that to spend time with meaningful people and um, you know there's there's nobody who has been more supportive aside from my wife and impactful personally not only as a mentor and a friend than you and I oh man thank you for saying that I mean that and I and I I I just can't tell you how much I appreciate your friendship and you you. are just a true gentleman and and a fundamentally decent guy and uh, people who are listening, yeah, you know what, Lynn, Lynn and I are dear friends, and 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 that's just the way it's going to be. And, and you know, and you know what, we're dear friends, but during the workday, in the middle of the legislative session of the political campaign, you still put, you still buckle the chin strap, put on the pads, and when you have to do a job, you still hold us accountable. And the reason I say what I say about you is not because we're friends; it's because I am more convinced than ever that our political system. And the quality of our political process, which relies on the, the ability of people to stay informed, needs people like you. We need you in the game, and that's why I, that's why I talk up a minor detail. Now you. Um, that's why I believe in what you're doing. You, you got a you got a bright path ahead, my friend, and I'm excited to see what happens with 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 Peter Francho in 2020. And 2021 and 2022, and uh, when I wrote about him, that you know Peter's taken some tough shots. He's he's taken the hits, but you know it's amazing as I watch Peter. 
it, it, you know, I see him and I've interacted with Peter dozens of times. We've gotten to know each other really well. And just being around him, it, it's like he never takes this stuff personally. He doesn't. And he knows that it's the political game. But I see him as somebody that truly has this remarkable political talent to connect people and to make sense of policy and even know that we have these polar opposite, we have these these sides of the, these political parties that kind of chastise him to say, oh, he's not conservative enough or he's not liberal enough. But really, he's just Peter. And what I think people really need to understand about him and from my perspective is that this is not a show. This is not a game. He's not... He's not trying to be anybody but him. He's just himself, and that's all he is. And and I would tell you if he was anything different, he's just Francho. That's it. You got it. And, you unpacked it. And I mean that. I'm sincere about that, that this is a guy who is just playing himself, and this is what he believes. It's not BS. It's not. It's just not foolishness. This guy's not messing around. Look, he's, what, 72 years old? Yeah. He doesn't have to do this stuff. I mean, he could have... Re- and Peter, he, he's had a great career. The guy could be out on a boat now having a bottle of wine for lunch in, every day. What? In, in Cape Cod or Martha's yeah. Vineyard, yeah. Wherever, he, wherever he is. That, and, and, you know, Josh Kurtz loves to write about that. Uh, but, you know, wherever he is, he could be up in Madison. If you're, you're going to summer, you might as well do it right. And I've been to Francho's place up there. It's, a, it's an amazing spot. Yeah. It's not ostentatious at all. It's just comfortable and warm and relaxing. Let me say this. And having my, the most meaningful thing that I've, one of the most meaningful events this year was when he came from Antin- Antinum Brewing Company back in Hagerstown in June. And he visited my grandparents. And it was right before I think he lost his dad. That's right. Yeah. And he talked to my grandfather, who's a World War II veteran. He was talking about his dad, um, a bomber, yeah, and in World War II. And I had the pleasure to attend Douglas Franco's funeral service at uh, Ryder Wood over in Silver Spring. And it, I, the whole time I was sitting there, the whole time I was, I sit, you know, who I sit next to is Clem Cakes. Oh, what a legend! A legend. He is. And Clem and I, we both were very emotional during this ceremony. And I was thinking the whole time. What an extraordinary life Douglas Franco has lived. I mean, an unbelievable human being that did it all. He had a career that only people could dream of. And I think about my grandfather. Born, born and raised in the time of Calvin Coolidge. Yeah. 1923 he was born? Yeah. I mean, 19, you know, started gran- in the roaring 20s and, li- and, and, and lived through the age of the Internet. Went to, be on, went to go on to be general counsel to what? one of the most profitable steel companies in the country. U.S. Steel. U.S. Steel. And what, and you, uh, the, the, in, he was in Detroit. Yeah, Ford Motor Company. Ford. General Counsel. He was an astronaut. I mean, if you think about the, you know, in the figurative sense, if you, if you think about the heights he ascended from, from, his, from the time he was born, where he solved the course of his life, that's a, that's a fundamentally American story. You and I are mutual lovers of the show Mad Men. Mm-hmm. When Mrs. Blinkenstaff died. That's where I got it from. You know what you you know what Burke Cooper said? She was born in a barn in eighteen ninety seven and she died on a, on the whatever floor. She was she was an astronaut. She was an astronaut. And I think every day Mrs. Blankenship. Mrs. Blankenship who died sitting at her office desk 
And then Don replaced her with Megan. With Megan Calvay. Megan Calvay, who went on to become his wife, whom he divorced. Sorry if we're ruining Mad Men. And who he, gave totally, her, he totally screwed that up, too. And you know what he did? He said, you deserve happiness. So you know what he did? Murder for a, a check. For a million dollars. <laughs> right. And this was back in 19, what, 70? Do you know how much that would have been worth today? More than a million dollars. Probably ten times that. Right. My favorite, one of my favorite episodes of Mad Men was probably the episode where Peggy stayed on her birthday to help Don, and they had this just beautiful connection. It's called The Suitcase. That was the episode. Yes, and the other episode that I loved was The Carousel, where Don was, uh, he was, look, Don Draper, my wife and I were talking today about some of the best series ever created on television. You know what they were? I'd say Mad Men has to be the top five. If you're asking me for the best series ever created, I would probably say The Simpsons, Mad Men, MASH, MASH and Seinfeld. MASH, Seinfeld, The Sopranos, Breaking Bad. You always have to, you almost have to treat cable, uh, you almost have to, you almost have to treat cable different, the on-demand cable different from regular television don't you think because because when you're not regulated by the FCC you right. can take chances you can you can say things you can do things that you can't show on basic television the sopranos to me is the be all end all yeah when james gandolfini died in the summer of 2013 it was tragic it was just he was a brilliant actor but mad men i i watch mad men it came out when I was a senior in college. I watched it all the way through until the very end. And it, it, these people live with you. They, you know, Don Draper and, and Betty Draper. It was, uh, it, it was just an unbelievable series. My wife and I loved Mad Men. This question I always had. Do you, if you remember the season-ending episode 1963 where, where Don is with Suzanne Farrell. The, st- the teacher. The teacher. He said, I'm just going to go in the house and get some things, and I'm going to come right back and out. And he stayed there because Betty found out who he really was. Betty was ready to confront him. Whatever happened to Suzanne? She she got out of the car, she walked back home, and then she remember she called him at work the next day, and he said, look, I'm really sorry I'm going through some things. Oh, okay, I, I'm, I must have forgotten that they actually, I just always wonder what happened to Suzanne Farrell. She was always my favorite girlfriend. I thought she was the smartest. Oh, man, I'll tell you my favorite was, yeah. Ra- was Rachel Mencken. Rachel Mencken, who, owned the depart- her yeah. father owned, who ended up dying. Yeah, she died of cancer. Dying of cancer. at the, And Don was distraught about that. Yeah, Rachel Siff. Who went on, I think she was in, I forget what, I, I forget what show she ended up in. Um, but Rachel Siff, that was, she, she was from season one, I believe. She was. She was, she was absolutely amazing. He also had a girlfriend from the village, remember? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That, um, that ended up following him into his office lobby to buy a painting. Right, and it wasn't Bobby Barrett. It was... No, Bobby um, Barrett. No, he dated she Bobby. Was a mob, she was the mobster's wife, Bobby Barrett. Yeah, because Bobby Barrett was the loudmouth TV star right. who who insulted the, the woman of a client. Of it, of it. Remember, I'm trying to remember. I, I, I know exactly. I'm, I'm trying to remember the, trying to remember the artist. She's kind of, a, kind of Bohemian yes. Greenwich Village. 
Maeve, Ma- Ma- uh, it started with an M something. God, I'll be I'll be halfway down fifty, she, and I'll think of it. And I'll text you. She tracked him down to yeah. buy a painting, and he went to their house one night. Right, and there was some weirdo guy in there. Yeah, they didn't have two nickels, and she had, he ended up writing them a check. Yeah, yeah. Don and oh my God. Yeah, I'm gonna think about it. You're right. I'll be halfway down the Bay Bridge, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say Len. This is who it was. Are we supposed to be talking about Joe Carter or something? I forget what the... How do we get on to this? I'm sorry, but Mad Men is a worthy topic that's, of discussion. That's true. And I that's don't think true. that people... I think at a certain point people don't give a shit about politics and they want to hear our... They may or may not want to hear our opinions on um, some of the greatest television shows. And Matthew Weiner, he was on The Sopranos. He you, know, you know, Matthew Weiner's... Um, Ma- Matthew's son was Glenn... The, the the guy the kid who dated um, Glenn Bishop yeah Glenn Bishop who liked he kind of had this Sally Draper right but then Susie had or uh, Betty Draper had this weird relationship this kind of weird edible type relationship transactional yeah. sort of uh, you make me feel good and uh, and you kind of yeah, understand you, me you flatter me and I flatter you right yeah Glenn Bishop remember him she threw him out of the house and right then he came back and said I'm joining the army and going to Vietnam and he looked really slim and everything yeah. yeah. That was his daughter, yeah, or his son. That was Matthew Weiner's son. That's right. Um, what a show! What a show! One of the best ones ever. I, my God, I, I have to tell you, it's right up there. And I watched Breaking Bad. That was a brilliant show. So was uh, The Wire. The Wire. Never saw it. You know who was? There was a character that was actually based on Bruce Barriano. Is that right? I know that I know Tommy Corsetti was based on O'Malley, but let me tell you something about Bruce Barriano. I came out at the Francho Sabatino's event. I walked out with Bruce Barriano. He had on he had on this tan striped suit. Never wears a coat. No. Never wears an overcoat. I walked up and Bruce is one of the most wildly fascinating people I have ever met in my life. The amount of knowledge that he has and just one of the most brilliant politicos that I've ever met. And Bruce is a man that if he's your friend, you will be his friend for life. I can attest to it. And I can tell you right now that I've interviewed him, I've sat down with him, I've picked his brick. I've never seen anything like it. When you're his friend, he treats you like a true friend. He and it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, it's, and it's not when you're, it's not just when you're in power. Because I know there, there are lawmakers who are powerful years ago and they've lost their elections or retired and they're completely forgotten. And Bruce Barriano still takes care of them. And, he, and, and uh, I know that he, he will send out to certain people a list of everyone who died over that past year people who used to be delegates and senators and cabinet members and he's thinking of them and mourning them in this in this season of light the man sleeps but three to four hours a night yeah he gets up every morning by four five o'clock and he does things the old-fashioned way if bruce barriano has something to say to you he picks up the phone and he calls you and you know what i love about bruce barriano is that you will always know where you stand with Bruce Barriano. And the man is, I mean, think about it. There's Mike Miller, there's Larry Hogan, there's these governors, and then there's Bruce Barriano. Bruce Barriano and I have this tradition that has stood the test of time now for almost 15 years where Bruce and I 
the Wednesday before Thanksgiving every year at 3 o'clock, the appointed hour in the afternoon, we'll meet at Tidewater Inn in Easton, and we will, we will talk about politics, we'll reminisce about the old days, we'll eat pizza and the special sea salt fries, basket upon basket of fries, it's so unhealthy, and we'll stay for like three hours, and we're, we have nothing on the agenda just enjoying the pleasure of one another's company and telling the same old war stories we, ta- we, we told the year before. I love it. I cherish it. I walked, I walked to his car, and we, we just we talked and talked and talked, and I said, Bruce, I've got to go over to Vaccaro's to pick up my wife something for dinner. And he said, you get it. He goes, you take care of your wife. And this is a guy that just has been through every imaginable political event in the last 40 years yeah. and what else more is there to say so you know Lynn uh, yeah let's wrap it it's up. time to wrap it up we uh, we had a hell of a show I appreciate our sponsor Eric Galley Pearl Pearl that's right Galley Public Affairs it's a this is an honor my friend thank you thank you for making Pleasure, time man. you are uh this is good. You mean a lot to Kim and I. You, you really do. And, uh, you know, we we have some laughs. We have some, some good times. And, you know, people in politics may not understand it, but uh, we, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real friendship. It's not just a made-for-podcast. I, I think people can tell it because we, we, we start talking politics, we end up talking about... Megan uh, Draper. Megan Draper. And I'm, I cannot remember... <laughs> The woman, you know, the, the, the hipster bohemian type. She was. She lived in the village. Right. And then she lived with some guy. And then, of course, Don bought a pain from them. And he comes in, and I think he felt sorry for him. And she, she looks up at him, and she's like, "Aren't you going to buy a painting?" And yeah, she was strung out. She was a heroin addict. Yeah. And she, and Don was like, "I don't want this painting, but I have enough money that I can just write you a check." And so he did. Yeah. I don't understand. He got bored with Megan after a while. How could she? Idiotic. I mean. Got bored with Megan? Right. A model. Series, the season premiere set in 1966. The the, the big party they had when she sang Zuby 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 Zuby. Oh, my Lord. When she, I remember watching that, and I I looked at my wife and I said, oh, my God. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Yeah. And remember, in the show, even, they went back. To the office and Roger Sterling was he was like you know kind of like doing this and he's like and Don got pissed he's like look we don't make fun of each other's wives he's like I'm not making fun of you he, and of course Roger Sterling is a legend of himself oh my god what went a out hero with, with Joan right made a baby with her right hero while his <laughs> while her husband was serving over <laughs> Dr. Greg Harris was serving overseas in Vietnam anytime you use Greg Harris to analogize somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Greg Harris went back for two tours of duty. Yes, because he couldn't hack it as a surgeon. And he had to bring out his wife to play the accordion. I mean, is I mean that's one guy where if if he was ever under attack by a Viet by a Viet Cong I'm rooting for the Viet Cong. Well you right? know I'm why? Because he was a piece of shit. He was horrible. He was a rapist. He was a rapist. I'm, gl- I'm saying right here on the detail, I say, I'm glad the fucker's dead. Remember the one guy that tried to move in on Joan? Bob 
Benson. Oh, wait, don't tell me, don't tell me. Bob Benson. Bob Benson. Great character, very enigmatic character. One of the most fascinating, unexplored character narratives of Mad Men. And he ended up, I, I think he was gay. And they just really just, it, it, they never really they tied up the loose end. And, and Pete Campbell, who actually ended up turning out to be a decent guy at the right. end, was like, look, just don't, you know, don't bring this in here and don't talk. You know, we know who you are. Because he, he had this made-up narrative, right? Bob Benson. Bob Benson. Bob he, had Benson. A, he had a made-up narrative just like Don Draper had a made-up narrative. Don Draper wasn't Don Draper. He was Dick Whitman. He was Dick Whitman who had a brother, Adam Whitman, who hung himself because he was in shame. Right. And then Don felt terrible about it. And the whole series was about this just nuanced character, Don Draper. And there is no... Could you imagine anybody else playing him but John Hamm? I can't. I don't think I could. Mark Elrich. Yeah? Mark Elridge. Yeah, he's a he's a Hollywood kind of look-alike and uh, a, a type. Maybe uh, who else? Maybe oh. J- Jake Weissman. I can see Jake. Yeah, Jake. He's got a he's got a nice personality. You know, I'll tell you something about Jake Weissman. Is we sit down. David Marks. David Marks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we sit down in Jake Weissman's office. Nice guy. Right. Nice guy. He's a good man. I just... He's got a job to do, Lynn. He's got to protect his boss. I think, I think Jake's going to have it. My, my opinion... He should be a lobbyist. Jake's going to have a huge 2020. If anybody else said that, that would be a, 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 a slur. He and Ferguson, I think, are actually going to sync pretty well this year. There, 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 there's, a, there's a synchronicity there between the two of them. I'm going to take your word on that, but I will say that... Alex Hughes, who knows her way around Annapolis, I, I thought the speaker may have wanted to clean house a little bit. Yeah. Jury's out on that one. We'll see what happens in yeah. 2020. I think Jake's going to have a good year. We'll see about Alex. Lynn, what else is there to say about Annap- about Maryland politics? Yeah, you and I both have great wives to go home to. Let's go home, let's go home to them. Anybody who's watching... This has been the time of our life. One of the best shows we've ever done. Right here at Call Classic. And your time is so meaningful. It's a gift. That's a gift, my friend. So, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy New Year. Len and I will likely be back in January to do a a session show. First night? Yeah, session. Where are we going to do it? Where do you want to do it? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Second floor at Harry's? Yeah, let's do it. We'll get I'll get Rusty on the phone tomorrow. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm going to be on the Senate chamber. I'm going to be on the Senate floor, the House floor. And uh, maybe I'll be standing next to, to Brian Sears, who we really, I just need to take out for a drink. Take him out for a beer. Yeah. Get this thing worked out. Ladies and gentlemen, a minor detail podcast. Signing off. Lynn Foxwell, our resident analyst. Merry and, Christmas. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Folks, it's been an adventure, and uh, we're here for your entertainment pleasure. Rock and roll. Thank you, man. See you, brother. Yeah.